Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that realised there was never really going to be a good time to cover X-Men 3. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick and James Hunt. We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Brett Ratner's 2006 movie X-Men The Last Stand. You sounded so enthused there. <laughs> but before of that, I'm going to ask Seven James oh, I sounded like Bully then, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain me something uh, to explain to me something that I don't know yet, or teach me something new about the original lineup of the X-Men I mean, do you think first actually we should explain who Bully is? Oh, um, it was a it's a bullseye British, a British game show sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry from American 20 listeners. years ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> It did sound like bully, though, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> James, X-Men, the original lineup of the X-Men, because Angel's in this movie mm-hmm. for, for two scenes. Uh, so that got, <laughs> that, that got me thinking. Uh, I mean, do all of the original Ooh. X-Men turn up in this movie? Is that... Um... Was it Cyclops, <laughs> Jean Grey, Angel, Beast? Iceman. And Iceman? Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Cyclops, yeah. Jean... Mean... Uh, in their movie think, context. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got something that you don't know about the original X-Men. Aside I've, from, I've got okay, one I've, as well. So I've got I'll, two, I think I've got two good things. One, one specifically about Angel and one is about the sixth member of the X-Men. So which do you want first? Uh, I'm more intrigued by the sixth member, which is why I'm going to ask you about Angel first. <laughs> okay, so Angel originally had his own solo superheroing career as the Avenging Angel, where he wore a nightdress and a wig and went out saving people before Professor Xavier turned up and was like, yeah, maybe stop doing that and join my school instead. Wait, so is that canon in X-Men or is that was that an actual comic? That's canon in that for a while they did these backup strips in the X-Men comic that were like showed you how the team got recruited because when okay when x-men one starts the team is already there and gene gray arrives so yeah they did just... these backup strips that showed you how all the other x-men came to be recruited and that was angel's backstory yeah i was just making sure that there wasn't like you know a comic for five issues before x-men where angel was a character of his, of no, his no, own no, right no. or something no okay right so what's this sixth x-men 
thing. So extremely late in Marvel continuity, like I think uh, when it must okay, it was in there was a comic called Extreme X Men, uh, which dates it pretty much uh, actually a bit later than the nineties, uh, wow. early two thousands. It was when when Grant Morrison took over the X Men title. They gave Chris Claremont his own sort of throwback book with the characters no one else wanted. Right. And in that, he revealed that uh, Tessa, who was a member of the Hellfire Club, was actually the secret sixth member of the original X-Men team. And Professor Xavier trained her to be a spy and never let her interact with the other ones. (laughs) That is insane. (laughs) Yeah. Surprisingly, it has been quickly forgotten. Yeah. Because it was a bad idea, and it makes you wonder about the kind of editor who would just sort of go, yeah, I see no problem putting this, like, sort of minor, not really very well-known character and positioning her as the sixth member of the original X-Men team. As a comics fan, James, do yes. you does, does your brain have to accept that as canon, or are you do you just go, they've waved it away as if it never happened, so so will I? Oh no, it happened. It definitely happened. <laughs> like my brain yeah. will keep that forever. My brain's but, like I that. mean <laughs> Yeah. The thing is, no one's ever gonna mention it again. And if they do, it will be because they have a damn good story about it, because that is such a stupid idea in the first place. This is why you kind of have to with some things you just kind of have to establish your own headcanon where you're like I do you know what? I don't Indeed. care. I don't care if you've made a sequel to that movie twenty years later on. I, I, in my <laughs> in my mind, <laughs> well, well, that's that's a good movie. <laughs> um, no, it but, isn't. Yeah, it, oh, James, it, it it's, it's <laughs> no, no, it really, it really isn't. I Carry think, on, different podcast. Uh, I think we need to argue about this off mic. <laughs> we'll put it on Patreon. <laughs> um, Seb, is there anything you can tell me about the X Men? Uh, did you know that in a in an early issue uh, of the original X Men run, it was issue three, which was the first first ever X Men story <laughs> I, I, I know ever what read. You're gonna say. You know what I'm going to say, James. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of yours. Did you know that there was um, a briefly brought up and then very quickly abandoned subplot of Professor X being in love with Jean Grey? Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> kind of, it feels it feels like the thing that has been in maybe said before, uh, but I definitely. I didn't see it coming when you said it. Um, that's it's gross, but it also feels like kind of in line with the asshole that Professor X is a lot of the times in the comics. <laughs> yeah, I mean to be honest, yeah, I I don't think it's I don't think it's not in keeping with the character of Professor X. It's just way too icky a thing to to have come out and done in the comics. I mean, it did it did get mentioned again at least. Oh, you're right, it did because of, of well, it, it, it briefly threatened to become a plot point in Ultimate X Men, but it was that was at a time when Ultimate X Men kept changing writers, so writers were setting up plot lines that they never actually then finished. But yeah, there is that other quite infamous example which I'm going to leave you to explain. I'm not sure if this is the same one we're talking about. Are, you, are we talking about the one, the time it's mentioned in uh, the Onslaught? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. So when uh, Onslaught was... Uh, Onslaught is a big X-Men I was going to say, have, have we ever explained yeah. who Onslaught is? Because that's a fun episode in itself. Onslaught is a, is a big X-Men villain who was created by the sort of melding of Professor X and Magneto's minds. Right. Um, and... <laughs> There's a there's a famous issue where Onslaught comes to Jean Grey and like tries to prove to her that the world is like um, screwed up and horrible and that she should quit being a good guy basically and join him. Um, 
and as part of that he sh- he shows her the insight into professor x's mind where he was thinking about being in love with her so they <laughs> I sort mean, of, it's one this panel one in this bubble, issue yeah. it's, it's an internal it's not even, monologue yeah, it's one is like a single thought bubble. it's something like they're, they're about to go off on a mission and gene says something so like no like, don't, don't worry, worry about yeah. us and he's like and he thinks to himself it's like as if i could help doing anything but worry about the one i love but i cannot tell her not while i'm bound in this wheelchair <laughs> Yeah, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I'd forgotten that part. Yeah, and then like they, I mean, I say they ignored it. Probably what happened was Stanley forgot he had written that. I think, piece of yeah, dialogue. I, I, I don't think Stanley thought better of it. I think, I think he put it in, intending to follow up on it, and then yeah, completely and then forgot, forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then he got picked up like thirty years later by Mark Wade. I think it was. Do you know what? This doesn't happen fun. too often. Doesn't happen too often on this podcast. But I wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on now to the comic book movie news section. And, um, well, I mean, we had a, a, so much news on our last double mini-sode. Um, <laughs> but the news just isn't stopping coming just at the moment. Just coming. Um, let's kick off with the Joker movie. Um, Todd Phillips' Joker movie. Um, apparently... The paparazzi are all over this one, and it's just causing Todd Phillips to go, fuck it, here he is, here he is as his, like, pre-Joker alter ego, Arthur, here he is as the Joker, here he is dressed in a clown costume, um, here's Zazie Beats wearing a jumper. Yeah, here's the script. <laughs> here's our plans for the sequel. Yeah. Here's ha- here's how much I'm being paid. <laughs> oh man, did you see that? There was a tweet I retweeted today that was uh, that made me laugh uh, about um, Joaquin Phoenix. I'm going to stall for time while I bring it up so I can quote it exactly instead of paraphrasing it. Uh, last day of filming Joker movie. Joaquin, it was an honour working with you, Todd. This will be up there with your best work, like Carol and Velvet Goldmine. Todd, that's Todd Haynes. I'm Todd Phillips. I directed Road Trip. Joaquin, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) They must really believe in this guy's take on the Joker. Um... I mean, to, uh, like, in I, fairness, to, in fairness to Road Trip, it is one of Todd Phillips' better films. <laughs> road, road, road Trip is is a quite decent poor man's American Pie. Yeah, and, and this will be a quite decent poor man's Dark Knight. I I thoroughly recommend anyone go back and watch his 1998 documentary Frat House, which is just uh, insane, and some of the stories that came out of that movie are insane, and kind of led to twenty years later him producing. Project X, which is a, a hateful, hateful movie. Anyway, what were we saying? The Joker movie. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really troubled by this because um, you quite like the you quite like the images, don't you, Seb? Because I think it looks fucking great, <laughs> and I'm really <laughs> upset by this because I still I just think fundamentally it's like if you just took the word origin out of everything they're saying about this film. He looks great. He looks so. He looks so right, and particularly the, the the footage of him. I mean, I know what they've done with the makeup is a bit different, and and I think that's that's annoying some people. But if you look at that footage of him in the subway and the way he is, and the way he's dressed, and the way he's moving about, and like if if we didn't have all the other context surrounding what this film is, and I, I think people would be losing their shit because I think it's it's like it, he's the Joker. Um, but 
I can't shake the fact that I still think this film fundamentally is a bad idea. I hope it turns out not to be. We've already talked about how I, you know, I am worried about it being a sympathetic take on the Joker. Um, I, I, I hope that actually it will just turn out that he's just a baddie, um, both before and after. Um, but the way they've put this stuff out, that little video that they did, intercutting him looking him as Arthur which I'm saying in inverted commas because I I don't like the idea of him being officially given a name and I'm not sure if he actually that's is that's the thing being. that is just um, like since he brought that up yeah that's the thing about this movie where they go like blah blah blah, blah the story of Arthur Fleck the guy who becomes the Joker I'm like oh so I mean, he's got a name the Joker's name is Arthur I'm, like, I'm, I'm I'm kind of willing instantly less threatening I'm sort of willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that that all may not be as it seems in terms of what yeah, we're seeing I mean, and what we're I being kind told. Of, I kind of wonder if they're gonna. This is gonna pull like some fake out where he's not actually the Joker. Yeah, or but even like, like I, I wouldn't be surprised. But those those even before we saw the makeup, those photos of him just in clothes, like with the long hair, not in makeup, instantly felt okay this looks interesting and then as i say like i thought the 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 release of that that makeup test video and the way it cut and the music and everything that was really well judged and that was you know that worked and i watched that i was uh i was in a bar a few drinks in on friday night what and i brought that up on my phone let's say i went oh the internet is responding i was kind of blur and then i watched it on my laptop the next day and went Oh no! Yeah, yeah, that kind of the, the the way it works in motion, and it, what you said, Seb, about like some people being a bit put out by the makeup. Uh, you, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because yeah. there's another section of the internet going, "Oh look, they've cribbed the Dark Knight's homework." Because they've the given they've the given suit. his hair and yeah, given them yeah, hair and, and stuff. Yeah, and like it's well, it it's the Joker, and yes, you can go for something radical and different, and that leads to a damaged tattoo on someone's forehead. <laughs> like, uh, this is this is Joaquin Phoenix, who I maintain is one of, like, when it comes to mainstream Hollywood, one of the most compelling actors out there. Um, you know, short of getting Daniel Day-Lewis, I think this is, <laughs> this is pretty much as, as good as it gets. Um, and yes, Todd Phillips is directing, but as I mean, I know we we joked about it earlier. I don't think he's a I don't think he's a bad director. I think he's certainly honed his craft over a lot of years, and there's interesting stuff even in you know even in like the Hangover franchise and in uh, Due Date, his Robert Downey Jr. movie. Um, and I, I mean, who knows how heavily Martin Scorsese is involved? Because yes, it could just be that his name is. <laughs> um... Well, it could just be that his name's on the tin, but equally... Well, no, it's not even on the tin anymore. Oh, is it not? Has it no. gone completely? Oh, yeah. I didn't see that. Oh. <laughs> I, saw that I saw that Bradley Cooper was now one of the producers. Oh, right. I, did, I also didn't know about Bradley Cooper, but Bradley Cooper is in a bit of an everything-he-touches-turns-to-gold phase of his career, isn't he? So, uh... Martin Scorsese was attached to produce, though he dropped out in July 2018 and was replaced by Emma tillinger Koskoff. Yeah, uh, so all right, yeah. So, so you're you're dead on, James, and yeah, and Bradley Cooper, I think, was confirmed last week. But but that um, seems to be because he's got a production company with Todd Phillips. Yes, for the Hangover. Uh, what stuff. Hangover buddies? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so I, who knows how it turns out? And we were just talking about Venom off mic, and I was saying. <laughs> 
it's stunning to me that, you know, like a movie starring Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed and Jenny Slate, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to at all. And that could very much be the case for a Joker movie once we mm. see more of it that I go, ah, yeah, despite the Joaquin Phoenix of it all, still no. But yeah, but, I, think what, I think what we've seen so far is encouraging. I think so. And I didn't expect to be saying that at this point. And you're you're right about we it, it is not beyond them to be twisting this concept somewhat because I really don't think a movie is just going to be here's a dude he becomes a joker some shit happens the end like that's yeah. <laughs> that that just doesn't that just doesn't feel like that doesn't feel like that something that Joaquin Phoenix would sign on for. I mean, like sure. again, go go back to Venom. Why did Tom Hardy sign on? Well, it looks like he's got to do some weird shit in a in a big blockbuster movie. Um, hopefully, that's the case for Joaquin Phoenix here. Should we do our predictions for what we think is going to happen in the Joker movie? Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I really just, saying I, this because I want it on record. So okay. I'm pretty sure it's going to end up with the Joker being responsible for Batman's origin in some way. Like right. I think that's going to be but the that's twist been in the done, film. That's I know, I know that's it's Batman been done. Batman '89, isn't it? Yeah, but I think I think the ending of the movie will be basically be him, if not killing Batman's parents, certainly getting a guy to go and do it. We should mention. Um, I don't. I don't know if we've. Uh, We've talked about all of these. Obviously, Robert De Niro starring in the movie as a talk show host, which kind of is a, <laughs> a, a nod to King of Comedy. Uh, Zazie Beetz is in there as a cynical single mother and Arthur's love interest. Um, Fran- Francis Conroy as um, Arthur's mother. Brett Cullen was cast last week as Thomas Wayne um, after Alec Baldwin kind of was cast and uncast within a week. Uh, Mark <laughs> Maron is going to be playing an agent. Um, yeah, uh, Josh Pace is an actor I like. Shea Wiggum, uh, Douglas Hodge is in there as well. It's a, a interesting cast. A um, lot of dudes. Um, <laughs> lot, that's a lot of white dudes. Um, but yeah, so that's, I mean, it sounds like he's going to be a stand-up comedian who becomes the Joker after some kind of live TV performance goes wrong. Maybe that's the straw that breaks the camel's back, but as but you, there is a twist in there, James. You think it's going to end with him killing the Wayne? If not killing way. Thomas and Martha Wayne, certainly being responsible somehow, directly or indirectly, for their death. Hmm. It feels like why Thomas the, Wayne? Like the only Thomas interesting in thing, there? the only interesting thing about Batman, about the Joker, is that he is connected to Batman. What if this is set in a Flashpoint universe? <laughs> what if it's a multiverse, Joe? Yeah, it's Brett Cullen Batman. Um, all right, this isn't necessarily what I actually believe, but in the interest of making a prediction, let's make a prediction. Um, I think within this one film, we're going to see multiple possible origins for the Joker. Oh, well, I like that. Like and I, and I, think, I think we've already seen two different character not characters but two different versions of this so i think because we've seen him in ordinary clothes and we've seen him dressed as a clown but not in the joker makeup but with a clown wig and and jacket and stuff on have you seen that most recent picture that i think came yeah, out yeah. today um 
I'm not sure that both those versions of him are from the same narrative. I think the guy walking around in the subway in that makeup is the is is the ultimate version of the Joker, as in where it leads to. But uh, I think that we'll be shown different possibilities for how he became that guy. Ooh, I actually like that idea. If that yeah. was the film, I'd be very happy with it, which suggests it probably won't be. Exactly, it won't be. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be. It could be both of those things. Oh, um, I'm, I I don't have a prediction. Here's my prediction. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna we're gonna be like, yeah, it was alright actually. I, I I do really hope it's good. I mean, I mean, I, what I what I don't hope is that it's it's good and successful while being a film that glorifies the villain because as we've already said i don't think we need that in 2018 but i hope it's good and i hope it it does feel like it's it's kind of doing the right thing um i i want nothing more than to really like this film because i like mm. the joker and i like joaquin phoenix and mm. i hope this is good I, I never want these films to be bad contrary to what no, people I, might think i hope it's bad and that it loses a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, let's stick with DC and uh, Birds of Prey has been confirmed for a February 7th, 2020 release, uh, which I believe is the week before Bond 25. Um, <laughs> just just in my... <laughs> it's happening. Um, <laughs> it's happening in such an exciting way. Um, so we're not here to talk about Bond, though. I'll save that for the Bond podcast. Uh, which we should we should do. Um, Margot Robbie is returning in Birds of Prey, um, and there is also a bunch of casting news. Joe, um, just, just before you get onto that, can you? I mean, maybe it's not. Ju- it might just be for the benefit of me, or it might be for the benefit of listeners who are in a similar position to me. I've found it really hard to keep track of which projects are which. And, and which ones were already confirmed and what titles were confirmed. So just to boil this down, previously, at some point, we were supposed to be getting any or all of a Harley movie, a Harley and Joker movie, and a Gotham City Sirens movie. Is this Birds of Prey what was Gotham City Sirens, and was it? did we already know it was called Birds of Prey, or is that new information that they were doing Birds of Prey? Because I've, I've, I'm sure we've talked about all of them, but I've lost track. Yeah, me too, kind of. Uh, as far <laughs> as I know, they are definitely... They have be- definitely been developed separately. Um, so this is not a retitling of Gotham City Sirens? I, mean, I don't think so, because that wow, was supposed, okay. <laughs> that while, was supposed to be a subjects. David Ayer movie, and David Ayer is not, to my knowledge, attached yeah. to Birds of Prey. Right. While we're on the subject, have you seen the interview with the people who did the other Joker movie? I think maybe was it the Harley and Joker movie where they were going yeah. like, oh yeah, we th- we think our project is maybe third on the slate after <laughs> after like the Joaquin Phoenix one and Birds of Prey. Then yes, then did... I think it's maybe as like even and what did, Warner what doesn't did they have des- a clue, right? What did they describe their scripts as? This is us meets bad Santa. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, not even someone who loves This Is Us and Bad Santa it's, wants it's like that to be a thing. It's like True Lies meets Nativity. <laughs> um, so yeah, I believe that I believe that a Joker and Harley movie is still technically in development. Suicide Squad Two is still in development, and I think that's one that is more likely to be made. 
there is that solo Joker movie with Jared Leto that's still technically in development. If, <laughs> if, if you ask Jared Leto's agent, but if you ask, but don't ask him if Jared Leto's out of the room because he might give you a different answer. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I think Gotham City Sirens is a different thing to this. I think it was a different set of characters. Um, and, but that is, so if not on on the back burner, completely gone entirely. Because so, Harley does not have, I believe, any real connection with Birds of Prey, traditionally. But she doesn't need to, does Aside from say. being a female character in Gotham City. <laughs> yes, and, that's, and uh, that's what it sounds like this is. So let's go through the casting rumours, because um, that kind of reveals some of the other characters that they are planning to include in this. Um, so first of all, um, there's Black Canary. Uh, they there are casting rumors. This is according to the um, Hollywood reporters, so fairly legit. Uh, um, Journey Smollett Bell, who I don't know, but stars in the TV show Underground. Uh, Gugu and Batha Raw, who is absolutely fantastic, and Janelle Monae, who is similarly fantastic, um, <laughs> and uh, it probably gives you a hint of what direction they're taking that character in. At the very least, <laughs> ethnicity wise. Uh, yeah. Then there is uh, Huntress. With uh, the leftovers, Margaret Qualley, uh, Mo- Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Kristen Milioti, um, all in contention for that role. <laughs> Your favourite, uh, the mother. Mm. I do like Kristen Milioti when she turns up in things. Um, <laughs> the, the one good thing of Latter Day, How I Met Your Mother. Um, and, but, but I have to say, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is my absolute favourite, so I would be <laughs> more interested in her. Um, and. The article also says that they're casting for the roles of Renee Montoya and Cassandra Cain as well. So, okay. Seb, Seb, as a, <laughs> as a, like DC, a big movie. Yeah, as a DC guy. Well, if this, James, is if this is the one that they, they are thinking is going to be the next appearance of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, which, am I right? That was 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be four years between harley quinn appearances and that's kind of like february 2020 is you're not getting another movie in before then i mean Um, if if you ever needed proof that warner is fucking winging it the fact that it took them four years to get mario robbie back on screen like if that was marvel six months down the line she would have been in justice league (laughs) winging it Birds of Prey, see what you did there. Uh, yeah. It does uh, feel like they are, are slightly taking advantage of the fact that she really wants to keep playing that character. So, like, they can get away with leaving it a while and they'll still get her back. So, uh, what, what do you think about this? I should, should mention as well, Kathy Yan is directing. I'm not I'm not familiar with Kathy Yan's work, but, um, you know, notably a female director. Um, and that's a trend that we're going to continue talking about on this podcast, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, Harley Quinn, Black Canary, Huntress, does it, does this to you suggest a movie where Harley Quinn is aligned with these or? I I mean, it could be either, couldn't it? She she could be the villain um, that they're up against or, um, yeah, you know, she could be ending up being coerced into working with them. I do um, remember her saying something about being the bad guys. Yeah. I think I, it seems I, think strange I remember that to, from Suicide Squad. It seems strange to have that many 
female bat-related characters and Harley Quinn and not have Poison Ivy be the villain, so it wouldn't surprise me to see news that they were casting for a a Poison Ivy at some point. Um, uh, Well, I was just going to say quickly, I I don't think Harley Quinn is going to be the villain because she's the reason people are going to see this film, so she's going to be (laughs) up front and and, you know. If if there's something that I think I think we can all agree would be quite fun to see, uh, if you know if we agree on elements of Suicide Squad that actually worked, um, Harley Quinn lining up alongside more heroic characters who are having to put up with Harley Quinn, um, you know. That's I mean, that's a formula that is tried and tested in the comics exactly. and it works every yeah. time. It's like so... putting Wolverine and Spider Man together; like it always, <laughs> always works. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Huntress because that's an origin story they're going to have to spend some time on. <laughs> I was going to say, out of, out of the characters listed, Huntress is the the one that I like the least. Um, <laughs> also, she, her, her origin hasn't been that for quite a long time. <laughs> so, so. Uh, are Huntress and Black Canary kind of generally good guys? They're, or yes. are they always good guys? Uh, Black Canary absolutely is. Black Canary is... Um, uh, I think, not to the general public, but as far as the DC universe is concerned, Black Canary is up there in terms of the canon of of female heroines alongside Wonder Woman in terms of she was a member of the Justice League going way, way back. And and the original Black Canary was in the Justice Society. Um, You know, the the original one was was a Golden Age character. Marvel equivalent would be like Scarlet Witch. Yeah, um, she's been around for a very long time in in multiple incarnations. Um, she's obviously very closely associated with Green Arrow um, because her and Green Arrow have been an on and off couple for years and years. But you know she's got a long history of her own in both solo and team stuff. Um, honestly, you know I think she is one of DC's best characters. So um, she would be the character I would think you would want to anchor the film around. Um, I find Huntress a bit dull. Um, Huntress is kind of basically. Uh, what if Batman was a woman and not very nice? Um, <laughs> Huntress is basically a, a lot harder edged, um, but they've done some quite interesting stuff with uh, the character of her more recently when she's been part of Spiral, which is a big secret spy organization in the DC universe, and um, they she was a recurring character in Grayson, which was the series when they when Dick Grayson was not being Nightwing for a little while, um, and and he was he was he was a spy basically, and it was a pretty good book. It was um, uh, Tim Seeley and I think Tom King worked on it. I've got a feeling. Or maybe he was on Nightwing before it. Anyway, um, no, in fact, it was because he went over to Marvel after doing th- uh, Nightwing. This is an unnecessary digression. Anyway, I don't think Huntress. <laughs> is, Huntress is the origi- Huntress's original deal is that you know about Earth Two and and all of that. Yeah, and the Earth Two was where the older versions of the DC characters lived. Uh, yeah. Huntress was the Earth Two daughter of Batman and Catwoman. That's that's basically where she derives from. So she is like a cross between Batman and Catwoman. Um, obviously, in right. modern continuity, she doesn't have that background, but her character is still, and her look and everything is still not dissimilar. Um, but the traditional Birds of Prey lineup is usually her, Black Canary, and Barbara Gordon as Oracle. And obviously, what we don't know at this point, given that they're supposed to be doing a Batgirl movie, is whether we'll get Barbara as Batgirl or Barbara yeah. as Oracle. Um, so I've continued researching this as we've been dis- uh, discussing it. And it seems like, from what has been public knowledge about 
Gotham City Sirens and Birds of Prey, we've never really known, you know, when one was in development, when one wasn't. Uh, but there was a report back in 2016 saying that a Birds of Prey movie that was being developed could potentially also contain the Sirens, which was being developed at the same time. Mm. And that version of the film would have pitted Batgirl, they're saying here, but I guess Barbara Gordon, Huntress and Black Canary against Catwoman, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Um, so yeah, I guess that could... Could, that could still happen. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, overall, and obviously there's other characters that we mentioned there, sort of Renee Montoya, I think we've talked about before, who's great. Cassandra Kane, you may not be aware of, but she is a Batgirl. Um, yes. Uh, so, and she, she's the daughter, the largely mute ninja daughter of an assassin. Uh, she's a lot of people's favourite Batgirl. I wasn't really reading the stuff when she first came around, but she she is a, a really good character. Um and yeah, I think I think the thing about this is it's taking a lot of good female characters and putting them together um, in a film. So I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm in favour of this as an idea. <laughs> yeah, this is what I want DC to be doing. Like, yeah, fuck, fuck the extended universe stuff. Just make movies that sound good. Yeah, and don't and and on almost. You know what? Make the whole movie and don't mention the Joker. Just don't. You don't. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is mention, absolutely don't no mention need for the Batman involved in this. Don't mention Batman. Don't mention the Joker. Just They'll probably mention thing. Batman. <laughs> probably. Um, um, but yeah, if I mean, if DC in 2020 release a movie headlined by Margot Robbie, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Gugu and Bathoraw, I, I you take my money. I, that's I'm fine with that. I'm I'm happy for you to for you to go down that path. It sounds good. Um, should we do? We've got a bit of Marvel news, guys. But should we should we have a little pivot point in the middle of non Marvel, non DC? Go on. Uh, what are you doing um, in November next year? Because I'll be busy not watching Kingsman three when it's released. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Still haven't watched the second one. Yeah, no, me either. I just, I've got no, and it's it's been sat there on Sky Movies for like a few months now, and I keep looking at it and just going, huh, yeah, n- no. And that's weird because I do like I'd like Matthew Vaughn's films. I just, I, it's weird how one moment can can just put you off something, and then I think it was the fact that. By all accounts, the second one doubled down on that. Like the the second one was not apologetic for the thing that some of us found quite controversial about the first one. Which Wait, which, is a, what, what, which which is the one moment you're talking about? Because there could be a few. The the, the very end. The, the very the end. Gag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I've heard about the scene in the second one, and I've not seen it, which is a shame because if you you know if you take all the stuff that the first film did well, which was a lot of stuff, and you throw in Julianne Moore and Channing Tatum and Matt Damon. Um, have I got that right? Is it them who were in it? Uh, Ch- Channing Tatum. Uh, I, I, do you know, I can't remember. I don't think Matt Damon's in it. Who, who, who have I mixed up with Matt Damon? <laughs> Pedro Pascal's in there, right? Um, I don't even know. Why did I think Matt Damon was in it? Colin Fur- he's in everything now, isn't he? <laughs> Just cameos in it for 30 seconds I think we're going to find out at some anyway, point that Matt, anyway. Matt Damon has some elaborate bet with someone about <laughs> how, how, how like how much total box office he can get or something 
Um, but yeah, you know, you you take the, the the stuff that the first film did well, and you throw in those people into it, but not Matt Damon. Um, and it should be fun, but it just it sounds like, as I say, the film is is unapologetic rather than apologetic for for the stuff that uh, was off putting, and so it's made me less inclined to want to go near it. I mean, I, I I don't think I ever had quite as much a problem with that gag. I, I can understand having that problem with it. Uh, but I also kind of do get the we just wanted to strip away the double entendre from the end of a Bond movie and mm. just present entendre. Um, the 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 class issues of Kingsman were always what put me off, and then you know being able to dive onto it into it on this podcast with um, Andrew Ellard and have it like thoroughly like tear it limb from limb and figure out. <laughs> all the reasons why it wasn't quite working, then you see lacklustre reviews for the second one and I just go, yeah, I'm probably I'm probably not going to. Mm. So anyway, Kingsman 3 is happening uh, November 2019 uh, and pretty much like I think fills the slot in the schedule where Bond 25 was going to be. So, I mean, that's that's kind of cheeky. I do like that. Um, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just wait until February the next year, you guys. It's fine. I can wait. I can wait for Daniel Craig being directed by Carrie Fukunaka in a Bond movie. Fuck yes. Anyway, Marvel. Uh, I'm just going to keep talking about Bond every so often. A um, couple of points from Marvel. Uh, one of them, I, I feel like is going really, really underreported. But Chloe Zhao, who directed The Rider and was one of the names linked to Marvel movies in the past, including Captain Marvel, um is being reported to be directing the Eternals movie. And I know that kind of Eternals feels like a movie that none of us are really, were ever really sure that, oh, they're making an Eternals movie? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I'll believe, believe that when I see it. But Chloe's Zhao is now attached to this. And I was trying to think of an occasion when an MCU movie had a, had a director attached and that movie didn't end up being made. Can you think of one? Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? <laughs> Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Apart from that one. <laughs> yeah. Because no, generally, once... Uh, once okay. The... Uh, Inhumans. <laughs> no, but I did, that never had a direct... I mean, I know it was announced, but I don't uh, think yeah, it ever had a, okay, a, yeah, a director or anything yeah, like that. Because normally, once the Marvel machine kind of, once the Marvel machine lets some information out there, you can kind of rely on that information. And the the notable thing about Inhumans was quite how soon after it was announced that there started to be question marks about it. Like, yeah. well, it's, it's the last one, and it's seven years away, and oh, I'm not, it's apparently Marvel aren't sure anymore. And oh yeah, yeah, we'll still make it, but it's TV now. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas this Eternals, Chloe's hours directing, uh, I think notable that um, Marvel have hired a female director to not direct a, you know, a, a completely female-led movie. I know there'll be female characters amongst that key group. I would just um, be happy if there were some characters amongst that group, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but I think it's notable and it doesn't feel like many people are talking about it. Um, and apparently Chloe Zhao, she directed a movie called The Rider, which is very good. It's like a really, really solid indie movie. The, the um, recent Rider. About the rodeo guy. 
Uh, I don't know. I just know that it was called The Rider. Was it this year? Uh, I think it was recent. Okay, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm going to tell you. Uh, yeah, 2017, yeah, about a rodeo guy yeah, from okay. South. Yeah, yeah just you seen it over here. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, but I... Oh, I will... <laughs> Fucking googling for then. <laughs> uh, James has also heard good things, you guys. It's confirmed it's the movie that he thought it was that apparently is quite good. Uh, so yeah, get ready for an Eternals movie. That's what I'm saying. I, I think this movie. Do we is really now have to happening? But so Marvel, the MCU have. That Kevin Feige has a knack of making everything base level watchable. Are you, are you thinking that the Eternals is going to be dreadful? If, or If anything is going to test his ability to make anything base level watchable, it's a movie based on the Eternals, who have been around for a good 30, 40, 50 something years and never managed to come up with a, a worthwhile storyline between them. Kevin Feige sat in an office somewhere going, they all doubted me when I started developing Guardians of the Galaxy. Look at them now. Look at them now. And he, he'll be you know, he'll be saying that to you about the Eternals in 10 years, James. The, the thing is, you can look at Guardians of the Galaxy and go, oh, they're, you know, the Avengers in space, whatever. That's a concept. What's the concept behind Eternals? I mean, I don't know. You've told me a few times and I can't remember. Yeah, that is exactly the thing. That's, that sums them up. They are a secret race of the original humans who lived on Earth and have superpowers. And they're immortal. They're like superheroes I mean, we... if... They're vampires if vampires were superheroes instead. That's what they are. Oh, well, now I'm interested. Yeah. Superhero... Superhero vamp... Only lovers left alive, but in space with superheroes, right? Not in space, on Earth. Only on oh, Earth. they're on Earth. Oh, they're on Earth. Yeah. Why? Did, why did I think they were in space? I, I have no idea. I, I, maybe I thought they were in, the Inhumans on the Moon. I don't know. They were, hum- anyway. they were humans that existed before humans that the Kree made. Okay, uh, they'll probably end up showing up on Agents of Shield. James, breaking news. How breaking? I mean, so breaking that this is an insert in the future. Um, we, we've recorded all of this podcast already, listeners. So everything you, you hear from now on, we, we recorded a few days ago. But literally, we've just done an X-Men The Last Stand episode and then a bunch of Dark Phoenix news breaks. So we, me and James have managed to get together quickly um, and we're going to talk about it now before we transition in, into our chat about that movie. Um, James, there was an X-Men Dark Phoenix trailer to begin with. Let's let's start let's start yeah. there. Let's, let's start with let's, the trailer. Let's talk about the trailer because ah oh, the X-Men are finally going to space. Yeah, uh, I mean you assume someone definitely is going to space for at least part of some of this film. Yeah, I read I read about how this was the film that was going to you know the X-Men were going into stellar this time, you know. Yeah. It was opening up a whole new world for the X-Men. It was going to be more like the comics. Yep. I mean, it could still be true, but yes. <laughs> most of this trailer seems to take place within one cul-de-sac. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting trailer. It's one that you kind of wonder... Um, 
if I, I think we know we know that this movie went back and had some solid reshoots, not new mutant sized reshoots, but still <laughs> some big reshoots nonetheless. You wonder if if your effects aren't ready, hold back the trailer. And yeah. I, I mean, and this film is what it's five months away from being released in February fourteenth, twenty twenty nineteen. Oh wait, hang hang on. The film is now it's been pushed back, James. Pushed back like, four whole months. Like four, three, four days after the trailer, not even that, a couple of days after the trailer lands online. <laughs> like we've got all these trailers it back from February, from February twenty nineteen to June twenty nineteen. We've literally that- we've got trailers and posters, and they all say February fourteen on, and not a week after, they've pushed it back four months. Like what? What is happening at Fox? I don't know because Fox did this with New Mutants. They released the trailer, and then like within a month, it was suddenly the movie had been delayed a year. Mm-hmm. Um, which that that felt crazy, but this you're you're five months out from the release of a movie. Everything seems pretty locked, and you know you've got the trailer out there that you're talking about that that you're promoting to people for the movie. <laughs> it's it's five months away, and now it's no, it's not. It's nine months away. Just you, you have to wonder how much of this trailer is going to be in the film when it comes out. Nine months, nine. Um, it's it's crazy to me that that has happened. Having said that, you can kind of understand why in why in Fox's release schedule that this makes sense. So the first, there's the there are three pieces in this puzzle of dates changing. <laughs> the first is Alita: Battle Angel. Uh, which was due to be released on December 21st. But December, because there's no Star Wars movie this year, is a bit of like a... It's a battleground with all these pretty big movies coming out within about a week of each other. Yeah, and going, there's no Star Wars movie, let's have Christmas. Yes, and especially after last Christmas, where kind of like Jumanji and The Greatest Showman showed that there is money to be made on top of Star Wars you know, through counter-programming. So this year, we've got Mary Poppins coming... This is US release dates, but Mary Poppins being released on December 19th, Aquaman on the 21st, Bumblebee on the 21st. There was going to be Elisa Battle Angel as well, um, and also Holmes and Watson, the um, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley comedy, um, and that being their follow-up to Step Brothers, you imagine, could be quite big. Um, so Elisa Battle Angel has moved into the February 14th slot that was previously occupied by X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, so X-Men Dark Phoenix instead moves back to June. Um, and you, uh, you kind of wonder what, could they have done it a bit earlier? And I was looking through the release schedule and there are like huge movies almost every week and this is so this is already moving past the release of uh, Captain Marvel which is in early March on the 29th of March you've got Dumbo on the (laughs) 5th of April you've got Shazam Um, on the 12th of April you've got Hellboy Um, cut then to the 5th the 3rd of May you've got Avengers 4 10th of May you've got Pokemon Detective Pikachu which (laughs) (laughs) it looks fantastic I imagine we'll make a load of money. Uh, John Wick 3 on May the 17th. Aladdin on May the 24th. Godzilla, King of Monsters on uh, May the 31st. 
Um, and then, yes, you'll get Dark Phoenix on um, June the 7th. A what? week before... A week... A week before the Men in Black reboot um, and Shaft are released on June the 14th. And then on June the 21st, a little movie called Toy Story 4. So yeah, <laughs> this is a, a pretty loaded release calendar with like huge movies every week. And I guess Dark Phoenix just has to try and fit in and make its money wherever it can. Yeah, I mean, part of me wonders how much of this is just them... How much is them bottling it? How much is them being concerned about the state of the film? You know, I don't think, judging by the previous couple of X-Men releases, it was never going to have, like, the super long tail anyway. So just shoving it anywhere where it hasn't got much competition is going gonna, is gonna to improve how it performs. I mean, you say that. The, Dead, the Deadpool movies have made lots of money. The Deadpool Lo- movies have, but... Logan Logan did well for itself. It was only really X-Men Apocalypse that yeah, I mean stumbled. In the, I mean and in the main that, strand but, of X-Men movies. But before that, Days of Future Past was the most successful X-Men movie, full stop. Internationally. It just, in America, it, just, it did a lot worse, right? But it just it feels like X-Men Apocalypse has killed the momentum on that franchise. And going back to the trailer... I, I kind of just watched that trailer going, yeah, I guess they're still doing this. Like, even even in a week where I'd revisited the Dark Phoenix story and gone, oh, I would like... Uh, it, it would be interesting to see what a new take on this is. The trailer was just so ho-hum. And like I said, they didn't get a chance to show an awful lot. But I kind of was just like, what, how how have they convinced these actors still t- to keep turning up? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got two main problems with the trailer. And, like, the first is that, like all of the X-Men movies, it just it has completely sucked anything fun out of the property. Um, completely, the film might be a lot more fun, but they, like all of the X-Men films, has this, have this really, like, serious sci-fi philosophical air that is only part of the property in the comics. And so, like, I'm a big X-Men fan, like, easily the biggest X-Men fan on the podcast, and probably that any of us know. (laughs) And yet I watch these movies just sort of completely disengaged from what's happening. It's like... Yeah, but James, first first class, though. First class was good, yeah. Like, that was closer to what I liked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If they could have all been like that, I'd have been a lot happier. It's insane that that movie has spawned this, which this feels just... I mean... Apocalypse felt like a retread because we'd caught up and the the kind of the characters mm-hmm. from the original franchise were showing back up just younger and this one is now the characters showing up and telling a story that we told already and yeah, like, I mean well this this vis- brings me actually to my second problem with the trailer I mean visually the, it, it, sorry <laughs> is yeah, that vi- it, it looks like totally. a, yeah it it looks like a retread of the version of Dark Phoenix they told in X-Men The Last Stand. Like, just everything they, they've shown us seems to be versions of stuff we saw in The Last Stand. And now I, I can only imagine that the final movie will not be that because of everything we've heard about it. And we obviously, we get a little bit of um, Jessica Chastain in this trailer and that's a, that's a different element. Um, and we, you know, we do 
joking aside, fully expect them to be going up into space at some point in this. Yeah, movie. I mean, there is the, at least that one shot of them in some kind of modified space plane. Which, fair enough, yeah. that's the start of the Phoenix Saga in the comics. Like, good for them. But this is a trailer meant to sell the movie, and it doesn't do an awfully good job of that. Th- um, I mean, the the strange thing is that. We probably say this later on in the podcast, but the the Dark Phoenix story is so iconic and so imitated. Like the idea of having your sort of good guy character get gradually corrupted by their power and eventually you have to be taken down. Like it's such a such a mythic and relatable idea. And yet this trailer doesn't promise any of that. It's just it seems to be Jean Grey wandering around talking to people. Like, if you can't cut a trailer that... Like, obviously, sometimes we complain that trailers give away too much plot. You should give away some plot. You should make people think, oh, that looks like a movie about something I want to see. Yeah, well, there needs to there needs to be a hook yeah. that gets you to want to see the movie. And the, the hook that it feels like they've gone for here is, do you remember that character from the X-Men movie that less people watched and certainly <laughs> less people liked? Well, one of those characters is going to do that thing that you saw the version of her that you liked more do already. And, <laughs> and it wasn't good the first time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. X-Men Dark Phoenix, now coming June 2019. And like I said, that's now... After, this this movie was originally due to be released in November this year. It was it was pushed back to February originally. It's now been pushed back to June. That will then That will now be after Avengers 4. That's how far this movie's been pushed back. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll have seen we'll have seen Aquaman, Shazam, Captain Marvel, Avengers Four, all before we get to this movie. And it should be noted, in no small part of the date moving announcement, I didn't even realise it had this date before. Apparently, this, the date it has moved into, Dark Phoenix, was a date that at one point belonged to Gambit. Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> Gambit has moved from June seventeenth, sorry, from June seventh, twenty nineteen, to March thirteenth, twenty twenty. Get ready, James. Eighteen months from now, we're going to be talking Channing Tatum Gambit. Why do they persist with this delusion? <laughs> when was it originally? It was originally supposed to be released like a month after Doctor Strange, I think. Yeah. So that was 2016? 2016 it was. So it has been played, it's it's done four years worth of release calendar bingo. Yeah, does it have a director at the moment? Does it not have a director? Who knows? I, I don't think it does, does it? It's definitely lost a couple of directors, right? I, like, no, I think it's lost like four directors. It's yeah. like, it's it's almost getting to the Crow status now. You know, the reboot of the Crow that literally... <laughs> They've cast like three or four different actors. Like I think Bradley Cooper was attached at one point. Uh, it will never happen. Um, yeah, Gambit ain't gonna happen either, is it? I mean, are they are they still pretending that these movies are gonna happen because you know there are uh, mergers to complete before Disney can take control of the the well, IP? I'm, is I, that what's going on? I'm aware that Fox as a studio has to keep working as if something could go wrong. Because if they don't, then suddenly the deal yeah. falls through, and Fox haven't got anything to work on. So yeah, they have to keep plugging away. Yeah, but in um, all in all likelihood, what's going to happen is, in about three or four months, Disney will complete the deal. However long it takes is it is supposed to be a year after the announcement? Was it? You almost yeah. You almost wonder whether Disney maybe might be saying to Fox, just just 
drag this. Don't rush them out. Just drag them out. You know, finish them the way <laughs> yeah. you want to finish them. And then at least the IP. At least we're not leaving it like three years between X Men movies. Like we'll have another one out in two years, and we'll. Um, but but we'll be starting again. I mean, you you sort of imagine Disney would want as big a gap as possible between X Men movies because it's only you know in this case absence will make the heart grow fonder. I don't know. I think Unless they're planning to I continue think, this strand, it's... which I just can't imagine they'll get those actors back again. No, 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 that's not happening. It's just not happening. Also, based on this trailer, Mystique dies half an hour in. <laughs> it, re- it really, really looks that way. And I think we knew that Jennifer Lawrence's contract was up at the end of the last movie. Yeah, well, all so of they... them were, right? Yeah, I think the main three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know, but like... We know certainly like that McAvoy has some kind of part in New Mutants, and I think he probably signed for something longer. Whereas Je- and Jennifer Lawrence will be by far the most expensive of these those three. Oh yeah, uh, I I imagine she might have took a cut rate to come back and film a couple of days worth of stuff, and we'll see her die. Yeah, she, just she, to just to finish off the plot line for the much beloved character, the revised Mystique. She will be she will be this movie's Cyclops. <laughs> Dead in ten. Um, <laughs> hey, anyway, on that point, James, should we get back to the regular podcast and uh, and talk? X-Men, yeah, the last you know, stand? just I'm quite I'm kind of glad I get to rectify this actually because something I forget to say in the upcoming discussion is that X Men: The Last Stand <laughs> did the highest box office domestically of any X Men movie. Holy shit! Which I think is primarily because X Men Two was so good that yeah, everyone that's... went. Oh, I can't wait to see X-Men 3. And then this film is probably responsible for the low box office of pretty much every subsequent X-Men movie. Because they all went, that, oh, I'm not getting tricked by that again. That didn't happen with Spider-Man, though. No, Spider- no. Spid- Spider-Man's good. Spider-Man 2's really good. Spider-Man 3's bad. Amazing Spider-Man's bad. And literally every Spider-Man movie grosses less than the one before. I think I think domestically, it might have even included Homecoming. I'm not sure. Maybe it got above the maze. I think I think Homecoming booked the trend because yeah, I was aware of that. But yeah, you know. <laughs> I'll oh, be interested also, to see how X Men sequels do in the future. Absolutely. Also, listeners, we are aware Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Janae Smollett Bell were cast in Birds of Prey since we last spoke. We'll probably chat about that on our next minisode in a bit more detail. Uh, but yeah, Jesus Christ, this move, this news all moves too fast for us. Um, <laughs> enjoy the rest of the show okay listeners that is it for the comic book movie news this week uh we'll move on now to our spoiler filled discussion of x-men the last stand um but before we wade our way through that one let's take a listen to the trailer for the movie on principle i can't negotiate with these people well then you know what needs to be done We're going to protect our citizens. Make no mistake, my brothers. The humans will draw first blood. And the air is still, and the light has fallen. There's only one question you must answer. Who will you stand with? A major pharmaceutical company has developed a way to suppress the mutant X gene permanently. They're calling it a cure. There's nothing to cure. Nothing's wrong with any of us for that matter. You of all people know how fast the weather can change. 
you find what you were looking for? The source of the cure is a mutant. More powerful than you. Logan! Jeez, something woke her. But she has to be controlled. You know, sometimes when you cage the beast, I can't do this. The beast gets angry. is upon us now. Fury that this world has never witnessed! Magneto's got an army out there. You go to war, you might not come home. She might not come home. You ready for that? We're not kids anymore. Hey, I'm not your father. If you want to go, be sure it's what you want. It's time we make our choice. If you're with us, then be with us. to cure us, but I say we are the cure. Look at me, G. We can help you. We can fix it. We can make it like it was. Stay with me. Me. Okay, guys. X-Men The Last Stand. Uh, we've worked our way through... Uh, the X-Men movies from Wolverine's point of view, right? Yeah. Yes. So after this, the the only place to go is the Wolverine and then Days of Future Past. And we've covered Logan already. So just two more to go. But it's kind of taken us a while to get to this one. Um... (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, we, we were probably going to cover it earlier this year. Uh, no good time, I, I don't think, to cover an X Men movie. Uh, I don't think anyone ever thought that Brett Ratner was a good guy. Uh, we found out this year quite what a sleazeball he was, um, uh, and potentially is. Um, obviously, the uh, the rumours persist um, around Brian Singer. Um, well, not just rumours um, anymore, I don't think. Uh, but yeah, it, his his Hollywood career kind of continues nonetheless. And both of those are kind of heavily involved with this movie because obviously Singer directed the first two steps away from this one to go direct Superman Returns. Um Matthew Vaughn was going to be directing this movie for a long time, but pulled mm. out uh, pretty late in the day. Um, and yeah, and Ratner ends up directing it. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this podcast discussing them. Uh, it, it, it's just a, it's just a shame that we have to discuss them at all. I guess. I mean, at least the good thing about this is that we don't have to discuss Ratner's directorial vision because clearly he didn't have one for this film so i mean not that not that good or bad art excuses that behavior in any way it just gives us an excuse it's, not it's to lucky to talk that we don't have to constantly. talk about it much yeah yeah because i would rather not but this movie does exist it is in the x-men franchise and um it's kind of a fascinating movie it's it's one of um 
That might be the it, only time anyone's used the word fascinating in, in connection with this movie. I mean, well, I'm, no, that I'm I don't, not even sure it movie... does exist, given the every sequel managed to ignore like pretty much everything that happened in in this running time. Well, right. So the the movie itself isn't interesting, but the the kind of everything around it, I think, kind of is. Um, so what this turns up six, three years after X two, six years into the franchise, um, and at a point where generally, like, and this this accounted for a lot of trilogies, not just superhero trilogies, but trilogies went, oh, good film, whoa, really good film. Oh, they couldn't get it right again, <laughs> and that and that happened a lot. And it, and I think in a way, and this film really, I think, hammers this home. It happened a lot, I think, because people were viewing things as trilogies. It wasn't the case with Spider-Man because I, uh, Sam Raimi wanted to continue. But this very much feels like a movie where they go, well, we've kind of got to end it. We've mm-hmm. kind of like, we've got to end this iteration of things. Uh, it's it's a trilogy. The movie ends after a trilogy. Presumably, I, I don't know who was signed up to come back. I was going to say, I think it it was less we have to end the trilogy and more contracts are going to be up. So let's give ourselves a strong negotiating position if we want to make a fourth one. And then, but then when they do get into it, so yeah, Singer leaves, Vaughn comes in, leaves pretty late in the day. Ratner comes in. Uh, I think famously, this movie had. Um, Halle Berry got elevated in terms of her role in the movie because she just won an Oscar and I think she played hardball with Fox saying that she wasn't going to return if they didn't up her role. Mm-hmm. The, pro- the problem is they just never really gave that character anything interesting to do or really well, it's made, funny that her, you say her role made her a compelling well. character. Because I'm not sure I can remember a single thing that Storm actually says or does in this film. <laughs> it's just it's it tends to be that she's more prominent. She's like it's like okay, yeah, like she's just there in scenes more. <laughs> there's what there's Wolverine. It's in fact look at all you need to do is look at the poster for how most scenes are set out. There's yeah. Wolverine. Oh, and there's Storm just beside him doing something <laughs> less interesting. We should we should probably set up. I, I don't know if anyone has any of our listeners would not have watched this movie um but x-men last time kind of picks up at what probably a year or so after the events of x2 where it was believed that gene gray had died at the bottom of alkali lake and we'll we can get into that because even that death scene i think hinted that dark phoenix was coming next but <laughs> that's in a way what they did and didn't adapt in this movie um the x-men are kind of uh logan is still popping in and out of the school um professor x is still running things uh cyclops is there but still grieving gene's death pretty badly storm is there rogue and iceman are still uh, are still students um and it feels like things have moved on slightly in the outside world. There's now a mutant in the cabinet. That is uh, Hank McCoy, um, Beast. Um, and then things go kind of tits up in a in like different unrelated events. One, Jean Grey returns. Um, 
apparently not dead because maybe her psychic powers protected her. Um, but now the powers are kind of controlling her. So she's a, a wronger now. Um, also, there is a cure for being a mutant, which has, has been invented um, by the father of uh, Angel, who is a new addition to this film played by Ben Foster. Um, and that the emergence of that cure draws Magneto back out in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Um, and then for the rest of the film, kind of everyone's kind of angry about everything. And, <laughs> and they have a big fight. Dif- well, different groups of them face off. So like the, the Brotherhood will face off against the X-Men or they'll all face off against Jean Grey or Jean Grey will team up with one side of them. And it a, a movie happens, I guess. And there are in if this were a good movie there are events that you would be like oh my god that's huge that's like <laughs> what you're killing that character or that character and that's and you that character's no longer a mute what but it's just it it's just this series of events that i would say after a kind of maybe at, at first 20 minutes or so where i'm actually like huh do, do you know what Maybe this isn't as bad as I remember. Oh, no, the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, the rest of it. And, and almost every choice it makes is an, an interesting choice. I had, had these movies talked about classes of mutants before now? I mean... And is that, and is that a thing in the comics? There is a, there's a thing in the comics that sort of cropped up in the 90s where people would go like, uh, he's, an, he's an omega level mutant or he's an alpha level mutant but it never actually meant anything it was just cool dialogue um, I mean because here it, yeah. it they introduced the idea um, early in the film I think it's when Magneto and the Brotherhood go into the church where they're meeting and talking about the cure and someone says well what I do know is that um, most people in this in here aren't anything above a class 3 mutant and you and Pyro are both class 4 and then Professor X talks later in the film about how Jean Grey is the one and only classified mutant he's ever met. And I was like, <laughs> who came up with this idea yeah. that just straight away limits the entire world and constricts it into this boring ass box where there is one person who's a level five, a few <laughs> level fours, and then everyone else falls into the, in the, into the rest of it, do they? Oh, I mean, Beast just, is level uh, two, right? With his big feet and... Blue, blue hair. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, and and that for me was kind of indicative of this movie. Just a, a, a movie that is at every turn making a choice that kind of makes the the rest of the movie less interesting from that point in. And I don't know what it, I I yeah I, I obviously I say this for any movie that I don't like in this podcast. Don't really know what it's about don't know what story it's really trying to tell and is this a movie about a cure for mutants or is this a movie about Jean Grey becoming the biggest threat yeah because it I feels mean, like there, it there feels are like two the two stories ne- they, there right and they never really coexist and it brings in mutants left right and center as if they have a role to play and none of them have a role to play angel is introduced into the, this movie in wait for it the opening scene oh sorry the second <laughs> scene but a, a second scene like pre seeing any of our characters modern day 
And Angel's role in this movie is to catch his dad at the end of the movie. And they cast <laughs> Ben Foster for that. I mean, knowing how they make X-Men films, I can believe they thought maybe they would have a bigger role for him at some point in the production and it just shrank and shrank and shrank. I mean, for me, part of the problem is they they so clearly set up doing the Dark Phoenix storyline for X-Men 3 in the previous mm. movie. And then to to do the Dark Phoenix storyline, you have to put Jean Grey at the centre. But then they lost James Marsden. Yeah. And so they were <clears throat> faced with this prospect of, okay, we need to do a big love story where, you know, that traditionally ends with Jean Grey sacrificing herself, but we can't have the emotional anger of her actual boyfriend. We just have to have the guy <laughs> who was sort of a bit Ex- obsessed with explain, her. Explain why they lost James Marsden. Because he went to do Superman Returns. He- no, I don't remember him in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> quite come to think of it was he in the last two x-men movies uh, he was in um he was definitely in the end of days of future past i know you said this a million times james marsden deserves so much better from this franchise <laughs> um and at the very least he deserved when being freed from this franchise to be you know to be given something to go and do <laughs> The, um, the thing that always like I remember watching the film in the cinema and just being like D- wait did they just kill Cyclops off screen yeah it, it is and so weird so yeah weird. They, they did he never comes back he's gone that's it he's done but they but they didn't need to either <laughs> well no you could you could, sh- you could show you could show that scene he could have been laying on a slab for the whole of the movie they just wanted him out of the way but no he just he he's gone and then he never comes back and it's like they went oh we'll have him back in the next film but ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We know how that worked out. <laughs> okay, um, can we talk through the kind of the first acts of this movie? Because I actually think pre the, pre the resurrection of Jean Grey... The movie's all right. 
I don't, I don't know if you guys would really agree or disagree, um, but this... I mean, it's because I, I, I think immediately it's, it is kind of interesting to compare this with uh, Spider-Man Three because you know they came out within a year of each other. They're both the third film they generally considered to be the bad third film when the second film, the first film was good and the second film was excellent. Um, and I think you know we did Spider-Man Three recently, and I think where we all reasonably came out on Spider-Man Three was that up to a point, it's actually a pretty good film and that yeah, loses it's, a, its way badly it's and an, still has a lot of stuff. It's an interesting failure. Yeah, and it has a lot of stuff to enjoy. It, it just loses its way. This this certainly isn't... It's not a spawn, for example. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I don't think it's... I don't think there's any, like, kind of basic movie competence necessarily missing from it. It's just not interesting. And just, you know, about an hour or so in, I was just, this is really dull and there's a lot of there's there's good people being wasted and there's there's Jackman trying his best but it's um but yeah i mean so so you know i would agree with you it's it's not the case that this film just starts out and you're just like oh this is a bad x-men film um it's it, it's yeah it's it's not that it's bad it's just that i don't think it's good <laughs> we i mean you can say it's not a spawn, and I agree it's not a spawn because, as I said on that podcast, I think that's probably the worst movie we've covered in the three and a half years of the pod. But, you know, I I look at all of the X-Men films and I look at my rankings and it's not as good as the Wolverine. <laughs> it's not as good as X-Men Origins the Wolverine. And do you know what? It's probably not as good as X-Men Apocalypse either. It I is, mean, it's, it's 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 the weakest X Men film, definitely. It's it, I w- I I would say it's like a one and a half star movie. It's an absolute fucking honker, is what I would <laughs> <laughs> to say. I mean, the thing is, like, there's a good story in this movie, and that story is the the mutant cure, and they but, completely ignore it and give it about four scenes, and it's like, why wasn't this your entire movie? Well. I mean, it, again, we can speculate about this. I don't know whether this information is is out there on the internet anywhere. Uh, but I imagine, like a lot of this movie's problems, um, they kind of screwed themselves with production issues. So they've they've you know they're they're making a third X Men movie. They've set up the Dark Phoenix, but they've also got this script with a mutant cure and they were like oh yeah we've hit on a good idea here and thematically <laughs> that kind of brings to a head the stuff we've been exploring the first two movies and they go yeah but we still we still got the dark we set up the dark phoenix could we save that for the fourth we don't know if we've got people contracted for the fourth i guess we just just do them do do them both we'll do mm-hmm. them both. we'll do them both because that's the script we've got but we still need to do dark phoenix and yeah you're right with dark phoenix Without Scott, without like w- without actually being the prominent storyline, because I think the mu- I'd argue that the mutant cure is is probably the more dominant plotline. Just because <laughs> Jean Jean Grey kind of disappears from it. Yeah, and now she's and just sort of wandering around places. Anyway, let let me let me go through like the first twenty minutes because I like in kind of each scene or plot point I'm like oh there's something I like here so um 
this was kind of a, a, a big deal at the time. The the CGI'd to be younger Professor X and Magneto <laughs> meeting meeting a young Jean Grey. And now, really, when you watch it, when you when you watch it more than a decade on, you go, "Yeah, that's Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen," and they've used that Photoshop tool where you just yeah, wipe they use away the, the, the Snapchat filter that sort of evens you out. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was a it was a big deal at the time. Uh, it was kind of the first time it had happened. Um, forget again how this messes with any kind of X Men continuity. You yeah. just have to. After this movie, ignore that this scene has happened. After um, this movie, you have to ignore that there is any such thing as X-Men continuity. <laughs> yes. And I, th- and I think, in a way, we have. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I like seeing a pre-falling out Professor X and Magneto. I like meeting a young Jean Grey who is consistent with the version of Jean Grey that we've been told about, who was this girl who was basically saved and taught to taught to use her powers responsibly yeah, by I mean, this, Professor this X. This is the comics version of Jean Grey, essentially, which is that she was a kid who had experienced a traumatic event when her best friend was killed in a car crash and that awoke her mutant powers early and Professor Xavier sort of put these psychic blocks on her to stop her being overwhelmed by her powers and then later invited her to join the X-Men. Like, there's nothing wrong with that as a concept. No, great, and 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 for for a movie which you expect is going to explore the Dark Phoenix, that feels like a good flashback opening scene to go for. Yeah. Um. Then we cut to as again, I think it's pretty random, but we have the Angel origin sequence, which it doesn't end up Angel. I don't think it ends up being really a factor in the movie, but. I kind of just like it as like a little, you know, like a little cutscene of, oh, here's a mutant kind of discovering their powers, hinting at a relationship with his dad. I think it is like suitably horrific without showing too much. Um, I mean, the, you know, I'll tell you the reason why Angel is here. And it's, I think it's a purely aesthetic thing in that they want a mutant whose powers are like unquestionably like cool and like, beautiful, and essentially, like, there's not a person alive who, on upon discovering they had wings, would not think, like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And so they want to set up this conflict, but the idea of, like, oh, he's got this really cool thing happen to him, but actually it makes him different, and maybe we can fix that for him, and should he fix it? Like, that's why they mm. put him in this film. But they don't But they don't then develop re- him as a expl- character. Well, I don't even think they explore that idea, James. Well, I don't no, think quite. anyone ever... I don't think... Like, if you had, like, just one character saying, oh, my God, your wings are beautiful and you can fly. Doesn't, doesn't that's Mystique incredible. do it? I think... Am I imagining that? I think there's a one line or something where Mystique says, like, oh, you know, you're beautiful or something. When does Mystique see... Maybe, uh, I might be remembering the other... When the other X-Men films. <laughs> <laughs> um... But anyway, I like that scene. I think that scene is is solid. Then we cut to um, a danger room sequence, which is bizarrely like a thing comes up and says the near future, and I. Oh, Christ! It's, it's it's a lie. You don't <sighs> you don't don't put a thing up on the screen telling us where we are 
if that's a lie. Yeah, sorry, what was that you were saying about basic competencies being adhered to? Because <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah. that's, that's cheating. Yeah, that is really cheating. But the scene itself, while while I think it kind of looks a bit crap, like Terminator Salvation crap, <laughs> um, like it feels like they're on a 2D battlefield. Um, you know, here are the X-Men training in the danger room they're fighting sentinels, kind sort of. of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they are like sentinels. And you you are seeing in that scene character dynamics play out that that you imagine are going to be echoed throughout the movie. It just turns out that they're going to be echoed in really uninteresting ways. <laughs> so Wolverine is kind of undermining Storm. He just thinks that they like they need to just win the day no matter what the cost and Storm's like no we need to train these guys how will they be ready if you're if you're always stepping in you've got the, the Colossus and Kitty and Iceman and Rogue and those kind of like dynamics that are playing at stuff we've seen in the movies already and or, or, or in, in one instance something that that has not been seen up to this point and it's like it's a, a new status quo for the characters that it's something else that's happened off screen um, which is, and I know they kind of play it as a, oh, this is a, a surprise, but Bobby and Kitty being a couple. And as I say, they play it in that scene as a surprise, but it's like, well, you know, it's the X-Men. The X-Men's kind of all about these character dynamics. It'd be nice to actually see these character dynamics happen rather than just, <laughs> they're just there all of mm. a sudden. But then, and, and yeah, and sorry, and then you get to see Colossus throwing Wolverine, which I think is the first time you've seen <laughs> Fastball two special. mutants, yeah, two mutants get together and 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 do one of their special moves from the comics. <laughs> Great, um, and then and and then we we cut the scene again, and we're introduced to one of the finest pieces of casting in superhero movie history because here is Frasier playing Beast, <laughs> and it's. It's kind of great. He looks... I, I actually think that this character design is fantastic. I love how, like, intimidating he looks or how bulky he looks within his business suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is, I completely um, agree. Like, it's... When you imagine Beast in your head, it's, like, this imposing, sort of hulking, sort of scary character who talks like Frasier, like, you know, as a yes. New England intellectual. Yeah. yeah it's perfect. And, and and Kelsey Grammer plays him with this kind of, this real, like, he's so at ease as, it, as both himself as a mutant and as a politician dealing with humans. Mm-hmm. And he carries himself with this kind of quiet respect and decorum that you would absolutely associate with someone who had learned under professor x and Mm -hmm. was and and remained close friends with him and i'm like oh brilliant and and similarly ellen page like ellen page's kissy pride i actually i really like that um i don't mean they do anything interesting with her in the movie uh but (laughs) yeah i when when ellen page turns up i'm like oh cool ellen page is in this and and that's kind of about after which I start to lose the movie. I mean, we're then 
the Brotherhood turn back up and where in, wh- what are the other group of mutants called that he recruits? The Omegas? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. They're 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 pretty god awful. <laughs> like just I, I don't know, these kind of punk rock mutants who like literally snarl and laugh when they're showing off their powers and their powers are kind of all really really naff one of them claps another one can run between points kind of fast but the the movie never really shows it in a cool way um and then i mean they uh, are they're the more is who they are but yeah, but not, what, so why aren't they? Yeah, well, quite. Good question. So it's not like this movie couldn't use anything that it wanted to use. <laughs> yeah. So they come into things. I think that they look a bit crap. Um, there is some dodgy shoehorning in of Halle Berry's storm into, into that first act as well to try and kind of make her seem more important, despite the fact that she's still a fundamentally dull character in this incarnation. Um, yeah, they introduced the idea of the classes of mutants. Um, and then James Marsden, stubbly James Marsden goes off to a lake and dies off screen. And that's the point that I'm like, <laughs> Oh no. I, I, yeah. It's I, all of those bits that I kind of liked. Are forgotten, and they're forgotten by the movie as well because the movie doesn't really, it doesn't do anything interesting with Kitty. It doesn't do anything interesting with Beast. It doesn't do anything interesting with Angel. It doesn't really explore the psychology or the history or the powers of Gene in an interesting way for the rest of the movie. Um. Like you say, James, I think the, the the only nugget of something that is interesting is the idea of a mutant cure because it follows on with the themes that the first two movies were grappling with. Um, but kind of does it in a way that gets it gets lost amongst everything else. And like, what's the deal with that kid? So it's just, there's just a kid with the power to take powers away. Yeah, he's leech. From the comics, although not a okay, very good he, version of Leech. And he just sticks around. He just sticks around at the end. Has he lost his powers or what? what <laughs> how how can he just be going to the school at the end and running running up and hugging people? Yeah, I, mean, I guess he can control his powers by the end. Sure. Okay. Um, but ultimately, what the movie uses him for is. For the gimmick of taking characters' powers away, I think that that feels like that feels like why it's here, rather than because the movie doesn't explore explore the the conflict about a cure for mutants. Because <laughs> if this was the first X Men movie, and there was a cure for mutants, then we would we would kind of be watching endless philosophical debates between Professor X and Magneto mm-hmm. about it. And about whether some people should be able to use it, and why would some people want to be able to use it? Yeah, well, and they kind of, they kind of hint at that with Rogue, but I was going to say, really, the thing about this movie that sort of most 
definitively tells you they didn't really have a clue what they were trying to say with that plot line is that they shot an alternate ending where Rogue makes the opposite decision. And any story about a mutant cure that went into it with any depth would have to assume actually no. Like, there's no way we can give her the cure and make it work. But they do it so superficially that at the end they just went, oh yeah, she can she can do it or not, whatever. And then the movie doesn't even have the courage in its convictions to stick with it because it shows Magneto getting his powers back at the end. Yeah. So like, so like, allegorically does speaking, get the cure well, in this movie. Allegorically if they, speaking, if they, if they had, sorry, yeah, yeah go on. like allegorically speaking, the the idea of a mutant cure is like in the real world, if you're gay and someone came along and said, "I can give you this thing which will stop you being gay," would you take it? Like that's the that's the struggle. That's the metaphor. Like I, I've got a got a you know medicine that can stop you being black. Well, uh, and and in in the real world, there are people who yeah, there there is like a gay cure community. Well, there's community, there's, like there's movement gay, or there's, whatever. There's, well, there's gay. There's there's obviously like electroshock or gay conversion therapy that, whilst has no scientific basis, certain people from certain backgrounds and cultures do buy into, which which leads to you know young people having to make that choice mm-hmm. or, or not or, or being kind of or, you know feeling like it is a choice or feeling like or that, feeling that pressured into taking of... it yeah or you know yes yeah and, and um, you know even even legitimately feeling like it would make their lives easier yes because of the prejudice yeah. they experience like fair enough there's so yeah. much you can do with that story and what they actually do in this is or, they or make because it of into, their own you know uh, they make it into a magic injection yeah where the philosophy is just like Oh, you know, maybe I can save the world, but actually, maybe it's just too much work. No, it just—it's such a waste of, of an actually good idea that speaks to the like the, you know, philosophical heart of what what's good about the X Men. And then, and when it is deployed in the movie, so in in moments like when Mystique is hit with the cure. Now, I imagine this is a scene where, like, Ratner and co are rubbing their hands going, oh, great, we really get to show, we really get to show the real Magneto in this scene. Um, and that, it, that doesn't at all feel like how I would expect this version of Magneto to respond to that. Um, and certainly I think it makes him a less interesting character if that is the way he responds. Mm-hmm. Because I think I think like for for all of Charles and Eric being from different philosophical viewpoints around mutants, I don't think either of them sees the world completely black and white. Because if they did, it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be as interesting of a conflict. Yeah. And for Magneto to say to someone who has been so important to him for such a long time to just be like. Ah, uh, you're not a mutant anymore, so that is see, yeah. see ya. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? It feels like it. You know, someone someone has been has written that page and punched the air and gone, "Yeah, I've nailed it." <laughs> and I go, and I go, ah, that's just not that's not the movie I want to see. Equally, the movie I don't want to see is a scene where Mystique, one of the visually coolest X Men, is replaced by multiple man and Juggernaut. 
and <laughs> fucking Vinnie Jones in a rubber bodysuit. That, uh, that was basically on. Matthew Vaughan's only contribution to this movie that we can say for certain is he he was put on the film, cast Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut, and then left. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is his contribution to the X-Men canon, as far as we know. Should we talk about Vinnie Jones? Do we have to? <laughs> it's not exactly Seb, lock stock, is it? <laughs> Seb, you you and I would have been well aware of Vinnie Jones prior to his acting career. Yes. <laughs> I mean, James, in, in fairness, right, he was a famous enough footballer that I had heard of him. And knew he was a yeah. footballer. Like, when he was announced as being in this film, even then I knew it was bad news. <laughs> uh, for any of our listeners not familiar with Vinnie Jones's pre-acting career, uh, he was a footballer. He played for uh, br- briefly for um, the team I follow, Leeds United. Uh, he was um, famously a member of Wimbledon's Crazy Gang, um, which I said <laughs> I'm sure you have particularly fond memories of um, <laughs> as a Liverpool fan. Um, and uh, I, I think he's probably most famous for um, crushing Paul Gascoigne's balls on the pitch. Yes. Just literally turned around and gave him a good old squeeze. Um, a, a real character and hard man on the football field who somehow translated that into a Hollywood career through Lockstock and and it turned up in like kind of more major movies than you... Than you remember almost. This, I think, is is probably his defining role. Purely because, I mean, for one line, right? The meme line. Yeah. Is it? Can it be a meme? It was like pretty much, pretty much at the dawn of YouTube. This one, where someone recut the X Men cartoon to include the line "I'm the Juggernaut, bitch," which then made it into this film. Yeah, because it's an even worse went, example oh, we, we've of. We've got to do the joke, it. right? <laughs> it's even worse than the snakes on a plane line, isn't it? In terms of someone deciding it would be funny to put a line off the internet into a film. Yeah, um, but why is why is Juggernaut in this film? Just because here's an X Men we haven't used, I guess. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, sorry, I just said here's an X Men as if that made any sense. Here is an X Men <laughs> character that we haven't used. Um... And then, so Juggernaut's thing is that he is an unstoppable force, right? Mm-hmm. He he feels particularly stoppable. <laughs> There's that one good scene of him chasing Kitty Pride. That's pretty Juggernaut-esque. I mean, that, that is one of the few, maybe one of the only bits of, of this film where I go, huh, they've taken two characters who have particular powers and they've set them up in an imaginative situation where the use of those two characters' powers makes, <laughs> makes the sense. action of the scene work. Yeah. And it, yeah, but yeah. How, does it, how does it end? <laughs> it uh, ends she hides with, it around ends, the corner. <laughs> well, she, well, no, well, that, yes, but then the actual showdown ends with... I get the idea. It's just the execution is fucking god awful. So Kitty <laughs> is hiding next to the mutant who dulls powers. So Juggernaut runs at them. His powers have gone. So he bangs into the wall and knocks himself out. 
Oh, if, yeah, only it right. were, if only oh, yeah. it weren't for the kind of like slow motion dive that they take out of the way, which like moves them about six inches to the side. I don't know what Juggernaut was hoping to achieve when he was running at them. <laughs> he probably could have picked them up and torn them in two. Like, yeah. that's what the Deadpool version would have done. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a hilarious part of... You know, uh, 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 do you know what a movie that he probably fits into? Not tonally, but th- th- his quality is in line with the quality of the rest of the movie. Uh, and, and yeah, Multiple Man, who turns up in that scene as well, played by Eric Dane, um, and served to remind me what happened to that James Franco Madrox movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, was really I looking forward the, to that. I that's think the that's never Fox, happening, is it? The Disney Fox merger happened to it, I think. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure when we first talked about it, it was after the merger was already maybe happening, and Fox were just having to keep developing movies in case they yeah. got to make them. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, but what a shame. But I mean, this this multiple man really looks like the fucking worst. <laughs> he. He's dressed in shit leather and he's got a bad hair dye job and I think he kind of like has a leery look when Rebecca Romaine is naked on the floor in that van. I mean, he doesn't even embody a single quality of the comics version of the character. Who, like, in the comics, he's a kind of, you know, bad luck sort of comedy character. Like, hapless idiot. Is the is the Madrox like well-meaning hapless idiot? Is Madrox in the comics slash the the character who sits around making jokes? He's like the Chandler or whatever. But there's none of that there. He's just an outright villain who appears so they can do one sort of fake out scene where they're like, "Oh, there are tons of them." Oh no, wait, it's just one guy who can copy himself. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, do you know who... There are so many X-Men characters sort of chucked in as cameos in this film, right? There's Psylocke. Uh, there's Arclight. There is a character who is credited as Kid Omega, but looks like um, a character called Quill. Uh, oh, wait, that that's that's the... That's the Ken, uh, Ken Leon character, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's correct. There, you've got Stepford Cuckoos, you've got Leech. But yeah, there's tons, like spikes in there there's just so many characters who they just bunged in for no apparent reason that's the thing that these movies kind of always did though right they always yeah but this one does it on an extra level in that it doesn't respect those characters and their depiction it just goes ah fuck it whatever like it basically it's like they went oh this is the last one so we don't have to worry we also get Olivia Williams as Moira McTaggart. Um, and I use this to uh, to segue into a, a large aspect of the movie that we haven't really addressed yet. Um, but um, Olivia Williams, damn fine actress. Um, you kind of forget she's in it. And the yep. reason you kind of forget she's... <laughs> the reason you kind of forget she's in it is because she turns up at the start... What is it? Is she, she's on a video... Is she on a video screen? She's on a video yeah. screen for some reason, isn't she? I can't remember why though. She's telling someone something. Um. Anyway, it's is it not 
to do with because they've got the the mutant who is the source of the cure. Yes, yes, I think that is it. Uh, so she shows up on the screen, and it's Olivia Williams. Williams here. Oh, it's Olivia Williams. Uh, she shows up later in the movie at a funeral, and she shows up <laughs> after the movie in, in a post credit scene. scene. Is this the original yes. post credit scene? Even I was trying to think if there was one before this in this genre, and I don't think there was. I think this was you know the what? one that started it. All. I I remember not knowing about this scene until like a year or so after the movie came out. <laughs> Look at you. Maybe maybe a year. Imagine that was remember... a whole year where you thought this film was better than it was. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then I heard I heard that the that the post credit scene was there and I was like Well that's fucking stupid. Who would put something that's actually important to the movie all the way after the credits at the end of the film. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's not the first. Gonna, it's not the who's first. Who's going to sit through scene, the credits? But it is the first superhero one, and this is why Marvel have all those like, you know, teasers for the fans at the end. Well, it is interesting that you know, obviously, Iron Man comes out a year after this. No, two years after this, isn't it? Because you got Spider Man three between them. Um, but you wonder, would the Nick Fury thing have been a post credit scene? If not for the one at the end of this, and if that's if the Nick Fury one isn't a post credit scene, then you know that entire genre trope doesn't become a thing. Isn't it funny though how if <laughs> if Fox originate this, and yet the X Men franchise has been fucking abysmal when it comes to <laughs> I mean, post credit Basically, every post credit scene in every X Men film is comprehensively dismissed as if it doesn't exist by the next one. I mean, this one's horrible. The one at the end of the Wolverine oh, is so bizarre because it comes out like a year before Days of Future Past and completely contradicts the <laughs> timeline of Days of Future the, Past. The one at the end of... The, the one at... No, carry Go on. on. Yeah. I, I was going to say the one at the end of... I think it was... I think it was at the end of Days of Future Past, which was just a trailer for a different movie. Oh, God. What? <sighs> what movie was that for? I can't even remember. It was was it Amazing Spider-Man 2? <sighs> yes. Yeah. Yes. They'd sold the space to another studio to put a post-credit tag at the end of their movie. <sighs> which is the one How? which is the one with Sinister? Is that X-Men Apocalypse? That's at the end of Apocalypse, yeah, because yeah, I think we it all feeds thought into it was Logan, set- but it doesn't. We thought it was setting up Logan, but it wasn't doing. Oh god. So yeah, it is extremely comical. How badly Fox have fucked up these post-credit sequences. I mean, even this... What's actually supposed to be happening in this post-credit sequence, since we're talking about it? Yeah. In this well, one, with, the, uh, it's supposed I'll t- to be... I'll, t- I'll tell you what's, uh, what happens on screen, James. <laughs> there's a there's a voice. You never see where that voice is coming from. And then Olivia Williams turns around and goes, Charles? And you're like, what? There was... Why would why would you think that's Charles? I don't... Well, I mean, they set it up, don't they, earlier in the film? Because he's talking about like, oh, you know, the the guy who's a vegetable or whatever in his in his hospital bed or something. Yeah. Um. So they did sort of set it up, but also if you listen, apparently, I've never heard this myself. If you listen to the commentary, they clarify that that is Charles's twin brother. And Ugh. that when when F- uh, Phoenix kills him, he transfers his mind to his twin brothers. 
Well, that's consistent with the completely cunty behaviour of Professor Whoa. X in these movies. <laughs> no, I'm thinking particularly... I think if anyone deserves a C-bomb, it's Professor X. <laughs> any, any time he's around Moira McTaggart, he acts like a complete prick. <laughs> yeah, casually mind-wiping her again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter if it's set up, though, because it's set up so casually. And it's it, it's stupid. So let's talk about it. Professor X dies in this movie. <laughs> Actually, he no, dies he in this movie. <laughs> but, he, but he does, though. <laughs> and it's like, There's not a single thing that happens in this movie that isn't immediately reversed off screen the next time they want to use the character. Like, Rogue turns up, she's got her powers back. Magneto turns up. He's got his powers back. Uh, Professor X is alive for no reason. Wait, did Rogue did Rogue ever actually turn up? Yeah, yeah, in Days of Future Past. No, she was cut from it. She only ever turns up on the DVD, I think. Is she? I'm pretty sure she's in the original cut. It's just they don't save her. No, right? they really. No, they released the Rogue cut literally with Rogue. With Rogue, added. it was because. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to this when we do Days of Future uh, Past. Nothing else. She's in the. She's year. in the final coda, right? Oh, possibly, yeah. Yeah, but that's a new that's a new timeline, James. Yeah, that's yeah. all fine. <laughs> Still, um, yeah, but no, but you're right, you're right. Yeah, the the film wipes it out, um, and it's so strange because the way let's talk about the death scene in Professor X. So we've already had kind of off screen ignominiously Cyclops removed from the movie. Which kind of strips our X-Men team down to the bare bones because Jean Grey died at the end of the last one. <laughs> You've got Wolverine, Storm, and the kids. And because Hank's not really around until the end. It's Wolverine, Storm, and the kids, and Rogue mm-hmm. actually doesn't play that big a part in the movie. So when the, I mean, to the point that she's not there, is she for the final battle? It's Kitty instead. It it feels like a real bare bones team, but at least Professor X is there. Oh, until he isn't, <laughs> and and that scene happens halfway through the movie, and then you've just got an X Men movie. What when Professor X isn't in it, and and Patrick Stewart's really good in these movies and i know i know they always kind of try and take him off the board in some way but maybe the movie where you can actually keep him on the board is where he's faced with a <laughs> yeah faced with a cosmic level stronger threat. than him yeah. yeah i mean the thing i um, like about his death is that they they have a good sort of juxtaposition with magneto as like oh he's lost the other half of his philosophical fight and actually he finds that unfulfilling in some way. So, like, you see him sitting at the chessboard, like, just as if he's some old guy and he, you know, he's got no one to spar with. And that's an interesting commentary on their relationship. Yeah. I mean, the film yeah. doesn't do anything with it. It just, it's a it's a note that it strikes possibly by accident. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really change Magneto's approach to anything. Charles no, I mean, board. in okay, in the comics, what happens is, with the first first time, the first time, one of the times that Professor Xavier dies, quote-unquote, for real, um, he 
I think what actually happens is it's when he gets taken off by the Shi'ar because he's about to die. So they go, whoops, well, let's take you off to intergalactic space where we'll fix you. And he essentially, like, makes this big appeal to Magneto to, like, to be better. And Magneto takes his place and becomes the headmaster of Xavier's school and trains the new, new mutants. And it's a really interesting evolution of the character for him to try yeah. and walk Xavier's path in his memory. Like, it's a good idea. Something these, this film could have done. But doesn't. Yeah. No, it definitely does not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, So the actual scene where Professor X dies... Uh, it turns into a that... bad CGI mess like, like it's the fucking lawnmower man. Well, they... So they've set up Jean and Professor X pre-titles. Mm-hmm. But that's that's it for the movie, right? There's not really much. Is there, are, are there scenes with Professor X and Jean back in the X Mansion? It feels like it's mostly Wolverine well, no, with her yeah, when, when she's, she's actually conscious. She's off wandering around, visiting a house and stuff for most of the film, and then hanging yeah. out with Magneto for no apparent reason. So that that big showdown halfway through the movie with Professor X. And it and it and it makes no sense because why would she kill Professor X, but not the others? Because I know Professor X is a threat to her because he is psychic, but actually, weirdly, that makes him like the least threat to her. And there is because because her psychic him, powers yeah. are stronger than him. So really, her only threats are the other strong mutants. Two of the strongest of which, class fours, let's call them, um, are right are right there in the house, and she doesn't she doesn't do anything. Uh, nay, later in the film, she teams up with Magneto for reasons that are never clear. I mean, one of I was going to say yeah, there there is no explanation, or I, know, I was going to say justification, but that's not even really the right word. But there is no reason for anything that Jean does after coming back at yeah, all. There's no explanation for true. for what's happening to her. Or why she does any of the things. Yeah, there's that she no does, rationale behind so any action she takes. Yes, the, yeah. the the surface level explanation is her powers are so strong that they are now controlling her. But what what's the motivation of her powers? Because I mean, let's let's do a, a comics dive here because I believe in the comics with the Dark Phoenix stuff that Phoenix has motivations and goals separately, right? Yeah. Although James, am I right in that's a retcon, isn't it, to sort of justify? Uh, is, is that the case? They sort of grafted on that it was a separate entity. I was so going to say that... it's sort of, it's sort of confusing in the <laughs> an X Men concept that's confusing. <laughs> hey, come on, you're a DC fan. <laughs> in like in the comics, they yeah, they. Originally, Phoenix is like an evolution of Jean's powers, and then they sort of later on walk it back to Phoenix was an entity that was possessing Jean and the two are still sort of intertwined so like you can own like Jean can become the Phoenix um but Phoenix can also possess other characters but either way whether whether you take the retcon or the original intention of the story whether it is Jean being overwhelmed by her powers or whether it's a separate entity, 
either way there is motivation beyond well there's there's a motivation to do stuff because i because because in x-men the last stand gene is angry and kills cyclops <laughs> and then kills professor x and then teams up with magneto because, for no yeah, reason because he says come with me and she goes and then okay. sh- and then shows up to the final battle because that's kind of where she needs to be, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the the big problem with this movie is that they... Ne- the big... One of the major problems <laughs> with this movie is that they never really define... Is that Jean? Is Phoenix Jean? Is she a different character? You know, I can, I can buy the idea that Phoenix kills Professor X because she's like, oh, you're the guy who locked me away. I'm going to fuck you up. But beyond that, what does she want? Why is she doing any of it? Hmm. How does Phoenix relate to Jean? Is that Jean? You cannot answer these questions within the text of the movie. And that no. that means, like, when you get this scene of Wolverine confronting her, saying, like, oh, you know, please... Actually, I, I just want to point out, that scene of him, like, her burning him away and him healing, and then he eventually stabs her, it's a great moment. It's just I wish the rest of the film supported that level of emotional involvement with those characters. Well, yeah, the problem the problem is those films haven't built up that relationship in order to give us that moment in the no. way that the and comics. That's because that's because that <laughs> should have been Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I think the previous two movies give you enough. Just, but just it, the it's, bare bones of it's, it. Yeah, it's it's basically forgotten, and actually. What that moment, I think, needs to be in the X-Men franchise is kind of a combination of of uh, of uh, Scott and Logan. And maybe it's Logan kind of finally stepping away and letting, you know, almost letting Scott de- deliver the killer blow because only the person that, you know, truly... <laughs> only the two people who were truly in love should be involved in that moment it feels like there's there's potential there for but as soon as you've lost scott yeah well even then you have to make it all about wolverine if you if you lose cyclops what you need to do is put wolverine and gene together at some point so maybe she comes out from the dead you know cyclops is gone but wolverine's there for her and you build that relationship up over the course of the film and then you know, having won everything that he wanted, Wolverine has to kill her to, to save did, the world. Like that's, you know, there's a sort of operatic, you know, thematic. Uh, I don't want to say beauty, but certainly <laughs> like aptness to that idea. But Across it's not a smart enough film to, to realise that's where it's going in the early stages. So it doesn't make any sense when it gets there. Across the first two movies, there is... There's enough there with Logan and Jean that you're like, oh, these two would something would probably happened uh, have happened if Scott wasn't already around. Yeah. But you always get the impression that no, Jean is in love with Scott, and so nothing can ever happen. Um, which leads to that final moment. Whilst I think being effective, and I think it's effective in the way that Wolverine's power set means that he's the one guy that can get close to her. And I kind of I do I always kind of like that about the X-Men that you know like Wolverine can just get overpowered by by Magneto in one second because <laughs> Magneto 
Yeah, it's it's like an elaborate game of rock paper scissors. Uh, <laughs> whereas whereas he can kind of be the one guy who can who can kill Gene in that moment because or kill Phoenix because he can heal and he has this and he has these claws. Um, but the moment ends up being about Wolverine, and really, Gene Grey died at the end of X Men Two, and there is a cipher in the middle of this movie that happens to be played by Famke Hansen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she she's ne- what she gets a couple of seconds to kind of cry out like, Oh, I'm still in here, you need to kill me. That's not that's not that character. That's just saying she's still in there somewhere. Yeah. And Phoenix isn't a character. So we we can't really care. I mean, it's just oh, part of the, another another threat has been ended. Part of the problem is that Phoenix, like the whole Phoenix saga, as a storyline played out over multiple years, and you got a long build up of like Gene slowly becoming like more and more powered and more corrupted by that power. It was kind, and she and, and she commits genocide, right? In the comics, yeah, she. She <laughs> so t- funny story. Tell us, tell us about this because you know, in the next year there is a movie being released called X Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah. So <laughs> it would it's probably a good a good time to delve into the Phoenix story. So in in the comics, she like the X Men go into space for one of their various travels into space. Um, the the Phoenix manifests in Jean, and she becomes like cosmically powered to the point where she can use her telekinesis to just sort of fly off through through space um the hellfire club have corrupted her um by you know manipulating her into giving into this sort of lust for power and what what she does at one point is she to prove or to experience the like you know dark emotions or whatever she eats a star um and blows up a solar system (laughs) and when she does that uh (laughs) The artist at the time drew a planet full of these weird little aliens that look like broccoli. Um, and she killed, like, there was a caption, like, you know, because it's been drawn, they have to say, oh, you know, four billion of these broccoli aliens get killed. Yeah. And at that point, like, it was never written that phoenix gets so evil she commits genocide but the comic as published ended up doing that and so i can't remember which editor it was but the editor at the time essentially said like look you just had her kill four billion people or whatever you can't you can't let gene get away with it she has to die as penance for this and so they sort of the storyline became well okay gene has to die so we'll put her on trial you know essentially she executes herself in the end like when her mm. her actual personality sort of pushes through and what makes the story so great why is it why is it one of the biggest because it's like because it's why these it big the themes the right it, it's got the big theme of like absolute power corrupting absolutely it's got the the central love story at the heart of it which is that you know gene and cyclops can't be together anymore because of the the things she's ended up doing um it's got this sort of the x-men fighting to save their own you know family member against the odds uh, a literal intergalactic civilization comes to get her and they fight them off and event you know they do win 
But eventually, Jean herself realizes, like, if because of what I've become, I can't be forced to live. I can't be allowed to live. Like, I'll end up hurting the people close to me. So she sacrifices her own life to save the people she loves. And it's like, it's superhero comics at its most epic and just, you know, it's mythic in scale. And that's what draws people to superhero comics. Do you think they're going to do a good job of it in Dark Phoenix? I hope so. (laughs) I'm not sure they will. The thing is, I don't trust, (laughs) right? I don't trust Simon Kinberg to do that. Simon Kinberg, uh, by the way, one of two credited writers on this movie. Yeah, and he knows he got it wrong. But I think in much the same way, people going, oh yeah, I can write Watchmen as well as Alan Moore. Thinking you can write a story, like thinking you can redo Dark Phoenix is like thinking you can, you know copy the Mona Lisa and do it as well as, you know, uh, <laughs> Da Vinci. Um, sorry, I had a, I was away. Hang on a second. Who painted the Mona Lisa? Um, like it just, it's a confluence of so many different things that just adapting it isn't going to capture what made the original good. And part of what made the original good is that it ha- like the time it happened and the context it happened in, which was that it was a, it's like the death of Gwen Stacy and it was a big deal that this stuff was happening mm. to these apparently sort of, you know, heroic and simplistic characters. Like suddenly they were becoming complex and the, the addition of that complexity can't be done now because it's already happened. Well, and here's, here's another thing. This movie, X-Men Last Stand, kind of couldn't have been set up better to do the Dark Phoenix story because Jean and her powers kind of had been a central aspect of the first two movies. It was mm-hmm. it was something that the movies kept coming back to. Famke Anson was well cast. They've, uh, I mean, in fact, everyone is well cast. Yeah, X Men Apocalypse is going off a base of Sophie Turner having some Phoenixy stuff at the end of the movie, and in terms of character relationships, she kind of knows Cyclops. <laughs> yeah so how how do they i don't know un- unless they like cycle through a lot of a lot establishing stuff very quickly yeah i mean I it's, it's not that it's in, enough it's not that it's impossible because like the x-men cartoon adapted dark phoenix and did it really well like that's a great little version that takes place over what five times 22 minutes or something so yeah. you can do it i mean obviously that's got all the backstory but you know, we don't need tons of material to let us know that, like, we know who these characters are. We've seen them before. We don't have to, don't have to have tons and tons of of reminder. Like, just set the status quo as Gene and Cyclops are together. We know that's what happens to those characters. So it's not impossible. Yeah. I think the people making it, by which I mean Simon Kinberg, is not a not good enough to do it. And no one will be happier to be proved wrong than me. <laughs> but, you know. I I just... In a way, I think... It's... It's nice, at least, that a lot of these characters and actors got to come back and wave off their characters in different ways. Yeah. 
rather than this being the sign off. So every everyone I think comes back for everyone significant kind of comes back for a little cameo, be it in I don't know if Famke Hansen has those bits in The Wolverine. Um, obviously, Patrick Stewart, I think, gets, you know, Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman get their proper send-offs in Logan. Yeah, um, I think Angel's probably the most prominent character who doesn't return again. And even, you know, they recast him for future movies, but... <laughs> it still it still boggles my mind how prominent it Angel is on the poster for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the poster for this movie is Hugh Jackman and um, Halle Berry up front. Then it's Angel, and then in the background you can kind of see like Jean Grey and Beast and Professor X. It's like what <laughs> I, I can see why because he's kind of, he's kind of meant to be the Nightcrawler of this film. He's the hey here's a distinctive looking mutant with a different power set who you might recognise from the comics. Who's a bit of a sympathetic way in to the X Men. It's just that they forgot to actually give him any of that material in the film itself. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, it's it's baffling. Whose side will you be on? The poster asks, <laughs> uh, while showing all of the heroes and Jean Grey. <laughs> well, that's a, not, not even not even Magneto. <laughs> yeah, because because I remember. Uh, yeah, there was there was this kind of was there supposed to be this kind of conflict thing and and potentially a, a you know conflicting morality but i reached i, I tweeted about this while i was watching this we reached a point yes. where great tweet seb great tweet i already know what you're gonna say <laughs> <laughs> the the strange narrative decision to have the big climactic showdown fight be between two sets of baddies <laughs> you've, so you've got the brotherhood of evil mutants or you know what yeah whatever that other group is called who for all of the flashes of moments where you might be expected to lean towards sympathising with Magneto, the film actually pulls away from them. And I think the moment where that's uh, definitive is the moment you talked about earlier where with him turning his back on Mystique. Um, and you've got the humans who, okay, humans generally aren't the bad guys, but these particular army humans who they are fighting who, or who have weaponised mutant cure are also baddies at that moment. And then you have a group of, like, five X-Men turn up in a jet <laughs> to get in the middle of it. And it's like, but we've spent several minutes watching this fight between two sets of characters that the X-Men themselves are opposed to. It's just bizarre. It's it's a really strange narrative choice. And it just completely... That was really the point at which I was just... I have got no interest in the stakes of this movie whatsoever. And yet, you know that is that is before stuff like Magneto being depowered, Jean Grey dying, <laughs> Wolverine having Wolverine having to be faced with that choice, all all of that stuff. Which by the time it happens, you're like, well, don't who care. Gives yeah. a sh- who gives a shit? <laughs> Might have cared about that stuff if what had come before it just hadn't sapped my enthusiasm for everything this film is about i mean the and, bit as, that and really... as you said james that as you said that the thing that kind of doubles down on all of this is that when you watch it more than a decade on and you know that the entire franchise <laughs> has tried to wish away every plot detail from this movie to the point that they're now doing it all again in a new timeline mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, you just. I think the uh, the only movie that kind in the in the entire franchise, which I know we talked about as doing it next in terms of things being from Wolverine's perspective, 
But the Wolverine comes significantly after this. There's been like um, X-Men First Class and X-Men Origins Wolverine in between. The Wolverine is the first movie to kind of go, yeah, X-Men The Last Stand happened. And it, <laughs> and it, affect, and it affected our characters. I mean, it affected yes. one character at least. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I'd actually forgotten that the Wolverine directly follows up on the events of this movie. In that it says, like, yeah. oh, actually, that screwed him up quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that as well. Yeah. Um. So, guys, it's a bad movie. Uh, do we all agree the worst X-Men movie? I'm, I'm, uh, Origins though. I think, no, I, I think, do you know what I think saves Origins is having Sabretooth and, and the Sabretooth relationship that, that, that yeah. it plays, it doesn't do everything it could with it, but there's something there and it's something to latch onto, which I think this film and, doesn't have. And here's the thing, when, when like side characters pop up in Origins, you're kind of like, oh, huh. He's fun for two minutes. He's fun for two minutes. That's all right. And it, yeah, it, it's it's not a good overall movie, and it has some laughable stuff in there. But yeah, it has the saber two stuff, and yeah, it has oh yeah, I Dominic Monaghan's mutant is pretty. Like, I was, uh, who's the, that, I mean, who's the uh, Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> I mean, then again, like, does does this film have a moment as bad as the CGI claws? <laughs> I mean, for I mean, me, it's, it's bald men fighting over a comb to try and uh, determine I, I, which is the worst <laughs> out of these two films. But well, and I, and I would actually say that for me, X Men Origins Wolverine is a better film than Apocalypse as well. I'd have to rewatch <laughs> Apocalypse to make that call, but personally, I think the things I like in this movie, I like more than anything I like in in X Men Origins. Like the in X Men Origins Wolverine. The only bit that I think, oh, that's actually pretty cool, is the opening sequence. And after that, it's just dull all the way through. In this, like, it's all over the place, but at least there are moments where you're like, oh, that was cool. Oh, that was cool. That didn't make any sense, but that was cool. And there is at least some semblance of a a philosophical discussion about if there was a mutant cure. It at least poses the question, if you could cure the thing that people say is wrong with you, would you do it? Which fair enough, like you can apply that to any any aspect of your own life, and you know, no matter how put upon you feel, you can think like, oh, you know, would I do it or would I accept that it's part of what makes me me? And that that for me is enough to make it better than X Men Origins Wolverine, which essentially just goes, how did he get his hat and jacket? How did he get his claws? Like <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't care. I think. I think. <laughs> I think something uh, something positive about this film that we haven't talked about, uh, although it is also something that X-Men Origins Wolverine has, um, there's never anything to fault about Hugh Jackman, is there? And you can completely see why, <laughs> particularly given that they were losing cast members. Um, you know, they, they pin so many of their hopes on him in this film because it's never not a joy to watch him as Wolverine, is it? I, I, yeah, but I would still say I think this is probably my least favourite Wolverine. No, but yeah, but but you know, there I think there is still a base level that he never drops yeah. below no, as you, the character, yeah, right. and it, and it does he's, mean that he's probably the best thing about this film. I still think through, through a quirk of fate, I watched. Sorry, I watched this movie the day after rewatching The Greatest Showman again, <laughs> um, 
and it is remarkable that like it kind of didn't cross my mind until after I'd finished watching the movie that oh yeah I watched him as <laughs> the greatest showman before I watched him as Wolverine and I just but I just buy him in in both completely he's yeah he's great I just think this is kind of his least interesting I just don't think they give him much to do. I, I still it's think like, X-Men Origins Wolverine, where he's just the the least good character in a film of bad characters. Like, mm. at least in this one, you get a sense of the Wolverine who is kind of anti-authoritarian and cool in some way. I was in, gonna, yeah, in I mean, X-Men I, Origins Wolverine, he is the straight man to everyone else's <laughs> dickhead. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say they give him nothing to do in this because, as I say, I think they 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 have to hang so much of, of you know, he is the he is the through like he is pretty much the guy who all this stuff happens to, like if no, anyone he's is, the guy, that's... he's the guy who's watching all of this. Yeah, stuff. He's the guy who's there when all this stuff happens. All right, yeah. Going but... like, oh, I wish I could do something more than cut people. Um. Okay. So, guys, it's a bad movie. We don't like it. Um, but I take it the comics that we should read on the back of it are the Dark Phoenix saga? There's actually two. Um, oh, ooh. in which case, hang on, James, can I just say, I'm recommending the Dark Phoenix saga because <laughs> I don't have anything else, so if you've got something else... Okay, well, great. the other the other one you should read, obviously read the Dark Phoenix saga. It doesn't matter whether you like X-Men comics or not. That is part of the comics canon that you should be reading. I mean, if you want to read superhero comics... That should be on your reading list because it. Is... I'm I, I'm not the X Men fan that James is, but but that along with uh, the original Days of Future Past are just fucking great. Yeah, they really are. They're okay. like they're they're a big deal. If you want to understand superhero comics, you have they are set texts basically. Um, the other, the other comic that feeds into this film is actually a more recent one. It was uh, a volume of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X Men called. Uh, ooh, what's it called? Gifted, maybe. Or is that the first oh, this, the, of course it's the Cure stuff. Yeah. Gifted is the first arc, but uh, it might be that the Cure stuff is in that first arc. Yeah. Um, um, let's look. Wait, at... I did. I read. I yeah, read we this. will have recommended it previously because it's. I think I read. I think I read the first arc, arc where the Cure was introduced. So I don't think I. Got yeah, in fact, I think it. I think it goes through all of the arcs in in some way. Um, mm. Yeah, Gifted is the one that introduces it, and then Doctor Rao turns up basically throughout the whole thing um yeah so yeah that joss whedon like kavita rao is one of the characters in this film Um, yes she is and she was created by joss whedon for this arc in which they discover a mutant cure so that's where it's not the first time it's been done it's not the only time it's been done uh but it's one of the more recent and better times it's been done right excellent so some some Key X-Men comics to read, um, and I'm going to, in our final section, which is the pitch, um, give you an X-Men pitch to do on our next mini-sode. So what I want to know, guys, is which one part of this franchise, and I'm counting that as X-Men through to X-Men 3, should Disney keep when it reboots the X-Men in the MCU? Okay. And I... And I feel like there's maybe obvious answers, but the obvious answers are probably wrong. <laughs> I want which one part of this franchise should Disney keep when it reboots the X-Men in the uh, MCU? Is, the, is there a moratorium on saying Wolverine? <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> because well, that's... The, 
that's what that's why the answer's wrong. Like the Wolverine, <laughs> yes, but Hugh Jackman is done, and you need to move on from him. Maybe if this had been like the last X Men movie, and they'd never used Hugh Jackman again, it would have been good to bring him back. But no, I think we've 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 played that character out. So, I mean, you can pitch it, you'll just lose. (laughs) Anyway, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do before uh, we wrap things up completely. Um, And James, uh, I'll come to you first because you have a competition that you want to tell the listeners about. Okay, so for this, we're running a competition. uh, And in this competition, you can win uh, the complete third season of Supergirl, the complete fourth season of The Flash... And the complete ah. third season of Legends of Tomorrow on Blu-ray or DVD, oh. as is your preference. Uh, all three of them are now available to buy in shops. And essentially, we're running a competition on the Twitter feed. But for anyone who's listening to the podcast as well, you get an extra chance to enter. So if you email uh, Cinematic Universe, no, editorial at cinematicuniverse.com with the subject Flaroverse Competition Entry, you can enter once there and once by looking at our Twitter feed and following the instructions there. Now, James, when they email us, do they have to email us anything specific or just, you know, be like, hey, guys, can I have a, can I have a Blu-ray? I, you know, I don't want to make it too maybe hard for s- anyone. <laughs> maybe say something flattering like, oh, James, your voice sounded particularly sexy this week or... Joe, I just I thought that point you made about <laughs> the Joker was just like tip top, you know, something like that. Would that do the job? Uh, if you need your ego stroked, I'm memes. Could they send us memes? Maybe <laughs> anything you like. Send anything that grabs your fancy. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna um, run the competition until haven't picked a closing date yet. Let's say one week after this podcast is released. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and so listeners, you can also go to Twitter and enter the competition on Twitter and you'll get, you'll basically, have, you'll have two entries, whereas anyone who hasn't yeah, listened to the Yeah, anyone who's a chancer who just looks at the Twitter feed will not see the competition, will not get a chance to enter the competition twice. So I'll only have half as much chance for you. Um, and yeah, so what, Supergirl Season 3, The Flash Season 4, and Legends of Tomorrow Season, season 3. three. Yep. Which, I mean, I would enter this competition, and I'll tell you for why. Um, I fell behind on Supergirl and The Flash last season, and not for, not really for quality reasons. I just, I just, there's a lot of TV, and I got a new job, and I'm a busy man. And I would like, I would genuinely, I would like to catch up on both of those shows. And I also heard very good things about Legends of Tomorrow, stuff like they used Wally West better than The Flash ever did. And I believe, like, some of this, I mean, there's an episode with Barack Obama that it sounds like some, there's, there's an episode where they travel back in time and meet one of the actors from the Lord of the Rings trilogy playing himself. It just sounded crazy and like really, you know, it sounds like a show that probably in this, in this era of a lot of poor superhero TV, that these are probably the three shows that you should be watching. Outside of maybe a, a couple of Marvel ones on Netflix. Yeah. And it, and even then, not even all the time. Iron Fist 2 was pretty so good. So, hey. I, 
I'm just never. You, can, I, you know what? I'm gonna. It, it's gonna be like this myth that I've been told. <laughs> Years from now, I'll be like, I hear Iron Fist season two was very good. Did you ever watch it? Fuck no. <laughs> of course I didn't. What did you think of the Flash season four, though, Joe? Loved it after I won the competition on the podcast. <laughs> I just want to point out, Joe is not eligible to win. No. Damn. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, email us uh, editorial at cinematicuniverse.com uh, with the subject Flowerverse composition entry um, to enter that. Um, other housekeeping, and this is exciting. Uh, listeners, you may be aware of this if you've been checking our Twitter feed recently. Um, and I think a few of you had, have because we've had some orders. But Seb, there are new t-shirts in our Redbubble store. There are, yes. I've finally done some new designs. Um, some fun ones, hopefully, that people will like. Um, I'm particularly pleased with the uh, Howard the Duck, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog style yes. game logo one. Uh, I got one printed as a test and, and and have worn it. The approved by the Podcast Code Authority logo, which I'm actually literally wearing right now, which <laughs> which was an accident, but a happy accident. Um, the Wakanda Forever Football, uh, Wakanda Football Association badge uh, with the Wakanda Forever motto on it. Um, also, uh, a piss off ghost design, which has already sold a couple of stickers. That one seems to be quite popular. So, um, yeah, if you head on over, have a look. We'll probably add some more. If, if, whoa, if the... whoa, 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 you've you've missed the best one. <laughs> Sorry, I have. I've missed your favourite, Joe, which is the uh, the Hunger City uh, design. Um, which I, I, I can think... make it here in Hunger City. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone else on the entire internet will actually get that reference and want to buy it. But I'm I'm pleased we were able to do it for you anyway. Um, yeah, so head on over and have a look. Redbubble.com slash people slash cinematic you. There's also links, as Joe said, on our Twitter and on our website. Um, if people like these, um, we might do some more. Um, they're quite fun to do, and we've got some other ideas. So uh, we I may mean, roll those James out. and I are particularly excited about this because Seb is the designer when it comes to all of the, <laughs> the t-shirty bits. Whereas uh, James and I, I feel like we feel like untapped ideas men at this point. <laughs> so I, I have already pitched a t-shirt with the Punisher skull logo on the front, but the Punisher skull logo is made out of entirely puns. Now we haven't come up with any puns yet, so the t-shirt design does not exist. So please yeah. don't anyone steal it. But <laughs> it feels it feels like a strong base to start from. Alternatively, someone could steal it and then they'll do it and I won't have to. Yeah. And they'll probably get as many sales as we want. But yeah, the the t-shirts are very cool and we've still got all of our old ones. Well, most of our old ones right there, but up there as well. Uh, Yes, yeah, the Barry Allen uh, Ordinary Forensic Scientist one uh, is is still there. Yeah, Still makes me laugh every time. Hey! (laughs) Hey, we tied together the competition and the t-shirts. While we're doing the housekeeping, I also just want to thank Brend Roberts for becoming a new Patreon backer. Hey. I haven't had one of those for a while. Okay, so all all of the housekeeping is out of the way. Buy some t-shirts, enter some competitions, back us on Patreon. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. Uh, and yeah, if you want to support us on Patreon, then head to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Um, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com you can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at cine underscore verse or you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week goodbye goodbye
I am Venom. <laughs> we are Venom. <laughs> is that it? Is that what you're going to use? Do you should do the "We are Venom," but do it in the Bane voice. Boys, lungs, pancreas, firmity snacks, so little time. We are Venom. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Venom. Uh, it just never stops being funny. No. I'm going to leave all of that in. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.